Our new partner who I'm really, really excited to announce we are working with. Super, super stoked. Thank you, Angie Huberman, for this connect. It's incredible. Uh, AG1 Athletic Greens. I've been using them for a while. I have them every morning on an empty stomach. Basically, take one scoop and you put it into a uh, cup or glass or mug of eight ounces of cold water. And this is all your greens for the day. You're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens. Every day I take this. It's so good for my digestion, my energy. It's simple. It's easy. I don't like taking a lot of vitamins. This has been really, really helpful for me. I've had a lot of stomach issues my whole life, and ever since I've been gluten-free and taking the AG1s, it's really helped me in my stomach in the mornings. I love it, and I'm so psyched that they're part of the One Life One Chance podcast. I'm sure a lot of people don't like eating greens, let alone drinking your greens, but I can tell you straight up, it's got a mild tropical taste, and the taste is actually really refreshing, and I really look forward to it each morning. Don't, don't think it's just going to be just straight bland. Um, it tastes really, really good, um, and it's good for you, so remember that. This one blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's incredible. Just one scoop, especially for musicians who are vegans or just musicians in general who want to get those daily greens. You can get the packets. It's incredible. I just gave some to my friend Derek from Sepultura. He traveled the whole entire world this summer, and he had, he had those every single day. He said it saved him. I bring AG1s with me when I travel. It helps me stay healthy. You know the deal. If you're on tour and you are uh, a picky eater, but you need to have your greens, sometimes catering doesn't have greens. Sometimes you miss the catering. Sometimes you miss the backstage food. Sometimes it's too late after the show to go get food that you like. So if you just have a, a scoop of uh, AG1s in your hotel room before you go to bed or you're in the hotel room at night and you're starving and you want something healthy, boom, life changer. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with some convenient daily nutrition. That's all you need. One scoop in a cup every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. This is it. I'm super psyched. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit drinkag1.com slash OLLC. That's drinkag1.com slash OLLC. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. This is incredible. I love it. It's just basic greens. For me personally, this has changed my life tremendously. I'm not a junk food vegan. I don't eat a lot of fake meat, so I'm strictly, strictly greens. And this has been a wonderful, wonderful new addition to my life. So once again, visit drinkag1.com slash OLLC. That's drinkag1.com slash OLLC. Get one free year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. That's drinkag1.com slash OLLC. Yo, yo, Liquid Death, thank you so much for hydrating all my guests, taking care of me and my family and my friends. Love your water, love your brand, love what you stand for, love what you give back to the community. If you want to learn more about Liquid Death and how it started, listen to episode 115 with the co-founder, owner, and creator of Liquid Death, Mike Cesario. Just a punk rock skateboarding kid from Delaware with a dream. It's an incredible story, incredible journey. So if you go liquiddeath.com slash Toby, you get free shipping on any items you order from liquiddeath.com. And if you want to get water, Liquid Death water, go to amazon.com. But for merchandise and other things that's not water, go to liquiddeath.com slash Toby and get free shipping. Thank you so much, Liquid Death. Death to plastic, murder your thirst, stay hydrated. You know H2O saves lives. Welcome to the One Life, One Chance podcast. I'm your host, Toby Morris. 
Today, have a very, very special guest, Mr. Frank Turner. Thank you for being here. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. We just met. Uh, we just went to Green Table. People know Green Table is the spot. Um, yeah, just catching up and getting to know each other more. And just, I don't know, I, I knew your name throughout, you know, the past, I don't know, over a decade. Just hearing the name <laughs> and a guy from the hardcore scene, but he has his own style, the music he performs, and it's not, you know what I mean? Like how he grew up. And, sure. Um, you know, you have the... Uh, the FT hardcore logo. I'm like, what yeah. is that? Um, <laughs> and just mutual friends and um, yeah, totally. Well, I mean, also obviously, I was I'm well aware of your work as well. So there's a lot of mutual respect in the building. Thank you, man. Um, yeah, we just played Riot Fest together last week. Well, you guys played Friday, right? We played. Uh, like yeah, we had we we had a late night show on a Friday, um, which was kind of brutal. Actually. Club show. <laughs> yeah, club show. One we of did the... that too. We played like 11:45. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's and too it's late, just man. like nobody in the audience wanted to be there at that time. Nobody on the <laughs> band wanted to be there at that time. It was a good show. It I was, but be... I was. I was beefing so hard with our, our book in Asia, but I don't want to do an after. I'm going to have a show, please. You got to do it. It's going to be fun. And it was fun. TSOL did it with us. Oh, amazing. But, but it's just so late, man. Yeah, yeah, totally. And like the, <laughs> we're all getting on in our time. Who'd you play with? Uh, our friends at Bangle Rebuilder from Boston, who are okay. amazing punk band. And was that Reggie's? Uh, no, it was at Chop Shop. Okay. Yeah, it was cool. It was fun, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, good time. And then you had the festival show, which I saw pictures of. Had the of. festival show, which was awesome, went really well. Um, I had a great day as well. I just got to hang out with some old friends, catch some old, some bands that I like. Um, I got to see uh, got to see Snapcase, which yeah, was great. Too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hadn't seen them for a long time. Um, I also, I watched the first half of ICP, uh, which was amazing. I saw Corey Feldman. Oh, Wow. <laughs> I saw Corey Feldman walking around in a gold suit. Sick. Um, and then I watched the back end of Mr. Bungle's set as well, and Corey Feldman was there. He was watching them? Yeah, yeah, for sure. How was Mr. Bungle? They killed Incredible. It. They finished with a Sepultura cover. It was, which, and I mean, I love Sepultura, man. So, like, it Dang. was, it was, but it was so kind of left field. Do yeah. you know what I mean? It was like, they start, they played Territory by Sepultura. Okay. And they just kicked into it. And me and my guitar tech is one of my oldest friends. And we, we both looked at each other and we were like, I, I know this song. What is yeah. this song? And it's like, it wasn't kind of like a stunt cover. Do you know what I mean? There was mm-hmm. no way that it could be like a cool hip song to have covered. It was just like, we like this song, so we're playing this song. Was that the only cover they did? No, they did loads. They did like Tears for Fears and like, it was it was wild. It was so good. Corey was up there and then you saw ICP. How was ICP? ICP, so I'm... I, me- gotta, I gotta see him someday. <clears throat> I'm medium obsessed with ICP. Okay. I think that there's an argument Secret to be Juggalo? made. Well, I think there's an argument to be made that they're kind of the punkest band ever. Um, despite not actually being a punk man. Super like, DIY everything. Insanely DIY, insanely community-minded. Mm. The way that their fan base operates, like the Juggalo community, they have things like healthcare fundraisers, parole outreach, like all this kind of thing. Um, and and like and everyone, everybody kind of looks down on them, which incidentally I think is slightly classist. Um, there's a mm. real sense of like they're poor white people, so fuck them, um, which I think is distasteful. But also it's like they don't care. And like to me punk rock was always supposed to be about we don't care what people think about us it's very um, true and and if you want to meet a group of people who don't care what you think about them that's juggalos i mean <clears throat> you know and, and play the punk festival yeah exactly and like they played they they've got a song called fuck your rebel flag and it's pretty cool that they're playing that to that's their specific audience you know i mean at the end of the Great day point. like i'm not the biggest fan of the music if i'm 100 percent honest with you and like i watched the first half of the show and there was a lot of fago being sprayed around i don't get sprayed yeah a lot of big beats and stuff it was very energetic but like i also wanted to watch mr mungle so yeah that's pretty interesting uh perspective on um ICP though. Yeah, I mean, like you know, they're I, from Midwest too, right? Detroit. Yeah. They're from Detroit, and I, and I'm aware that while I'm talking about this, 
that I'm not an American, which I think gives me a slightly different um, perspective on it to some people, but not necessarily in a bad way. No, but I like this perspective. You know, um, and like ultimately, like I'm glad that it exists and I hope they keep doing what they do. Yeah, they're on merch, they're on record label. Yeah, they run everything themselves and they go platinum on every record they put out. You think Fago pays them? I think they own Fago. (laughs) I'm not even joking. I'm pretty sure they own Fago. No, I think they like they own the company full stop. Wow. I think. I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, because I never heard of Fago until of ICP. Like, I never heard of ever. I mean, if they don't own Fago, they should own Fago. I know. And I wonder why Fago. Who knows? I have to talk to them someday. (laughs) But then if they love that brand so much, yeah, they're just buyers or something. Yeah, for sure. Right, right, totally. But apparently, so you know, they have their festival over here called The Gathering. Oh, yeah. Some friends who've been to that. I want to play it like a lot. And like everyone says to me, like, man, that's a rough gig. You don't want to do that gig. And I'm like, nah, man, I reckon I could pull that off. I'm, I'm like bravado about this. And we have the same booking agent, me and ICP. Oh, my so um, I said to him, I want to do it. He was like, I don't know if you want to do that. And I said, I definitely want to do it. So we'll see what You're putting out the down. atmosphere right now, yeah, in the world. Yeah, I mean, apparently, like, no one drinks at the gathering. They all just take ecstasy. And I was just like, okay, I can get with that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I have a friend, a really good friend who's on this podcast who's actually a juggalo, and he's told me all about that, that yeah. world, that community. I, 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 but this is it. Like, the, from a kind of sociological point of view, it's it's the same as the hardcore community or the punk community. Except that I, in many ways, I think is doing a more effective job. You know, there seems to be a lot less kind of like backstabbing going. Yeah. I mean, although let's be fair, I don't know enough about the internal politics of the juggalo world to say that with any confidence. That's true. That's true. Um, but like, you know, yeah. I don't know. I just, I, I really, I really or judgmental. It. Yeah. Because as know. much as punk rock for me and probably you is probably an open-minded and accepting everyone and we're all weirdos and freaks together. There's a lot of judgment that comes totally. in the hardcore and, scene and there's, what's punk and what isn't. All that right, there's about a lot it. of rules kind of yeah. pop up. Every single time, rules pop up. <laughs> we talk about gatekeeping too when we eat too, stuff like that. Yeah. Like, like there's, nobody owns the blueprint. Nobody is the one creator. And there's not right. one style or sound or look. Very much so. And like ultimately, in a way, the fact that the juggler scene more so than hardcore with minor threat, whatever, is just so specifically based around one band. It's kind of like, that's the only real gatekeeping you can do. Do you like ICP? <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? That, the, oh, yeah, there's no other bands <clears throat> under that kind of umbrella. There's oh, there, there are. There's, there's loads. But ultimately, like those two guys. And I met Violent J and he was a super nice dude. Mm, um, but cool. like those two guys... They define what isn't isn't in, and they seem like they've done a pretty inclusive. And what job is of that. that genre? Really, there isn't, there isn't one. It's kind of like new metal rap. I, I guess, but it's just called. It's just in sync. It's just them. Yeah, totally. Like they I mean, they've got complete lane. creative freedom. And this is the other thing I was talking to a friend about at Riot Fest, actually. Was so the podcast that, dedicated to ICP, by yeah, the way. Yeah, here we go. It's, <laughs> uh, tune in, jugglers. Um, like the, but I just sort of feel like the other thing is that, like, and this is a, we can broaden the conversation here a bit. Um, something I've noticed in recent years. So I've been I did my first tour twenty five years ago. I did my first sort of solo tours about twenty years ago. Um, and like uh, at a certain point, the fact of having survived for that long makes you kind of inarguable because True. you know when you when you're kind of younger and you're starting out, or whatever people can throw brick bats at you and they can say that what you're doing isn't worthwhile or that people don't care about it or they shouldn't care about it, whatever. Yeah, the criticisms that might come your way. But at a certain point, if you've been doing something to a certain degree of success for more than two decades, 
People can say, I don't like this, which is a completely legitimate opinion to have about anything. True. But you can't say it's meritless or it's valueless because self-evidently it isn't. And yes. So the conversation I was having with my friend the other day was that like, I feel like in recent years, ICP have kind of like pulled clear of the controversy around, or at least the, the kind of aesthetic controversy around them. They've been doing the same thing for like 25 years. Yeah. And like, so... It's not a gimmick. <clears throat> it's not... Yeah, uh, flash in the pan. It's and yeah. and, it, and it's huge, and and huge. like and and they're doing well, and like good luck to them. Godspeed. Do you know what I mean? And I'm I'm not ICP. Uh, yeah, <laughs> more, more's the P. But but <laughs> but um, but you know, like I've really kind of noticed of late that like I mean, the last record I put out was my ninth record, and it was kind of interesting actually. The the enemy, which is a British music magazine, I'm sure you're familiar yes, with. Yes, yes, yes. Who who are famously quite bitchy. They kind of gave me this review that was a really actually for the first time like kind of a positive review, and it was just kind of like. He's been doing this for a long time. It's clearly working. This is a good record. And yeah. it was just kind of like, they, it was almost like they kind of like waved the white flag in my direction a little bit. And like, it was uh, just like, yeah. He's here to stay. He's here. This is, yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, ultimately. Had they reviewed your band before that? Oh, yeah. All bad or? Uh, generally speaking, yes. Do you let bad reviews and stuff like that bother you? Like, take um, it personally? I would love to sit here and tell you that I don't. Same. But um, sensitive humans, man. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I think it's funny. I think to. There's a funny, th and this is another sort of punk rock thing, the idea that I don't care what anyone thinks about me. If you really delve down into that statement, it becomes kind of sociopathic at a certain level. Like human beings are kind of socialized by at least some regard for what other people think of them. True. I think there's a balance to be struck ultimately. As I mean, put it this way. I have one friend who genuinely doesn't care me what too. anyone thinks about me him. Too. And I, I find him pretty intimidating in a funny way. Me too. Like, and, and, and there are days when it's actually not that cool hanging out with him. Mm. You know what I mean? Um, so, but... You know, I do think, nevertheless, like, so you have to, doing what we do for a living, you develop a thick skin. It's part of the job description. You do, but we also are sensitive souls, and, like, this is our right. love and our passion. I mean, we do take it personally when they make fun of the art we create. Whatever we create, we, we take it like, yo, really? That, well, there's, that. A, there's that weird imbalance that, like, you, you'll spend a year and a half kind of writing, rehearsing, recording, mixing, pressing a record that's 40 minutes long. And somebody spends 40 minutes listening to it and goes, nah. And you're just like, but my life. Yeah. And you can't really complain about that because that's just the, the nature of the beast. That's the game we all signed up for. But how many of these people that criticize our music actually are musicians? I think quite a lot of them are, quite a lot of, I mean, the cliche is a lot of them are failed musicians. Yeah. But it's a funny thing because like, so here's, a, this is, a, we, we've got philosophical already. Look at I us. Love this, yeah. um, like, you know, so one of the things I had a moment in my, a brief moment in my career where I kind of slipped one toe over the line into the mainstream like we had mm -hmm. we had we did arena tours like headliners in the uk and we were we had a number one record. yeah charted yeah yeah, yeah. um yep. uh, we, we had a number one song on american radio in 2013 all this kind of thing and one of the things that i realized then which as a kid growing up with punk rock had never really occurred to me is that the structural difference between underground and mainstream is very simple what mainstream means is that your music is exposed to everyone with no filter. Like, on the, if you're an underground band, nine times out of 10, the people who encounter your music are the people who are looking for your kind of music. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which mean, And that doesn't mean that everyone's going to love you, of course. Yeah. But it means that, generally speaking, the people who encounter your art are kind of predisposed to it, at least on some level. And if you become quote-unquote mainstream what it means is that your music is being unfiltredly kind of pushed out to the general public yeah and and what that means is that kind that of like, forced on people not necessarily forced but just for a lot of people whose whose 
Um, There's no story to it. Yeah, it and just the, the, people who's kind of like exposure to art is is more passive. Let's say that. Okay. Do you know what I mean? They're just like, yeah. I'll put the radio on, and I'm not criticizing anybody in any of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what that means is that a lot of people who don't like your music and who are never going to like your music start hearing your music, and then they want to tell you about it, and yeah. that fucking sucks. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, particularly if you, because I that all that stuff happened to me on my fifth record. You know, mm-hmm. so I had like a background in being an underground artist. And what year was that again? Uh, that was 2013. So. Yeah. A record called Tape Deck Heart, um, yep. and and it was and and you know and I feel like I've since kind of pulled my toe back across that line and very happy about that I am too, um, and it wasn't really a kind of conscious choice at the time either. It was just things went well, and then yeah. radio stations started playing my stuff a lot. So happy days, never going to complain about. Did that. they continue to play music after that record with other albums? Uh, some some places, but that was definitely the peak of my kind of radio years. But then you did, then you charted number one on UK Billboard. Yeah, definitely FTHC. that was that was more kind of like a kind of guerrilla campaign to kind of like fuck the charts almost do you know what i mean like and and, and it worked it uh, work. <laughs> which was fun and the, i'm really so the last album i had was number one in the uk and i'm quite conflicted about it on some levels because again when i was like 16 and when i was when i was a teenager Britpop was in full flight and i hated it at the time because it was very much the mainstream overbearing culture is that blur and stuff like that blur oasis all that kind of stuff oh, um wow. And that, like I've, I'm now old enough to have gone back and reevaluated some of it, but it was so omnipresent and so yeah forced on you as a kid that I really hated it because I was into punk rock. Um, and like wow. so, when I was a teenager, almost what defined my social group was we were the kind of people who didn't like any bands that were in the charts. Yeah, on the radio, yeah, same. Yeah, 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 yeah and then yeah, it was yeah. like I just got a number one record in the charts, and it's like part of me was really stoked about that, and part of me really punk wasn't. rock guilt. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, right. yeah, I mean, I guess for me in America, it was like Nirvana and Pearl Jam. I'm like, what is this shit? But then fast forward to now, I, I love and appreciate it. Foo Fighters as well. I think but, once you're able to kind of step back and kind of dis- disentangle yourself from the kind of social mores that, and pressures that go with it. Like talking about Blur and Oasis, like the real answer to Blur versus Oasis is pulp. Um, mm. And like I, I, I didn't really pay any attention to them when I was a kid because they were part of the enemy. Do you know what I mean? They were yeah. the bad guys. And now I listen to Pulp a lot. I think they're an incredible band. Um, and like Gomez and there's just all these amazing bands that I was just like refusing to engage with. You were too with. punk for it. I was like, <clears throat> yeah, the, the blinders on. Yeah, totally. And you know, it's just like, screw you guys. I'm going to go get another kind of um, <laughs> bootleg Black Flag live exactly. record from 83. Um, what about Oasis? Are you a fan of Oasis now? You know, the short answer to your question is no, but it, there is a more complicated answer. I, I, I think that they represent something interesting in British culture, and I think that they self-evidently had, in a way that I really respect, they had a mass appeal. Like, I, th- yeah. I think that they... They're, they're, Insane songwriters, too. Yeah, I mean... The, I I I don't I can't get around the lyrics. I just think the okay. lyrics are dreadful. Um, but the melodies are amazing. Um, also, like I mean, I think it's really important. It, it is culturally important that they were a working class band who took the world by storm, and they kind of did it on their own terms. And, um, and kind I of think punk rock vibes, man, a little bit. In places, as far as their attitude and some of the stuff that they did, it yeah, wasn't. Yeah, but I mean, certain certain, certain strands of the punk rock DNA. They yeah. were more the kind of like Savicious Darby Crash kind of strand than they were the Ian Mackay strand. Let's mm. say that. What if they like punk or no? They probably know about it for sure. They're definitely into the, like the Pistols and stuff like that. Actually, funnily enough, I now I've never met anyone in Oasis, but I have a very close mutual friend who is a close mutual friend of Noel Gallagher's, and oh. who will defend him as an individual until the sun goes down. So okay. So he really go. knows him, yeah. Yeah. But so uh 
This is going to be an interesting answer. So no Coldplay for you? Oh no! Okay, right. It's my favorite band of all time. One of my favorite. See, bands okay. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna stand on your side of the line. I'm not sure I'm quite as far on your side. I have like of the tattoos, line. everything. I'm fuck it. I love them. <laughs> Amazing. I think I, I thought I love. I mean, I don't want to sound like a prick. I love their first two records a lot. That's fine. I, there is a part of me that feels. Okay, this is an answer to your question, but I'm enjoying this a lot because we're going deep on theory <laughs> straight away. I put it to you that the most influential band of the late 20th century is U2. And the love reason, you too. Yeah, I love you too, but they invented what I refer to as stadium indie. And what I mean by that is any type of music where essentially you've got four ma- chords in the major key, you've got some instrument droning a fifth over the top of it, you've got a driving beat, and you've got soaring vocals. And that is Coldplay, and that's some bits of earlier Radiohead. But it's also True. Mumford & Sons. Um, it's Kings of Leon. Mm. Um, do you know what I mean? It's all... It's Obviously, that's why I say point. stadium indie. There's a, there's a template that you 2 laid down, which... Has the, For sure. And indeed, it's some of my stuff. So I mean, I'm not being bitchy and saying any of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. But like, but so Coldplay are almost like the the classic example of that because I remember hearing Coldplay and they, you know, the band they reminded me of more than anybody else. The first time I heard Yellow was Mineral. I don't remember. I know the name, but I'm not the uh, they, yeah. So Mineral were one of my absolute foundation okay. bands. They're like they they were the kind of like second wave emo thing out of like along with like Promise Ring, okay, Christy Promise. Front Drive, yep. that kind of crew. And like the first time I heard Coldplay, I was like, this sounds like a tidied up Mineral. A wow. better produced mineral to me, um, and I kind of still maintain that. that that's true. <laughs> and and the the other thing about so Coldplay, I don't know about over here in the UK, they've become the band that's kind of easy to kick and easy to hate. They are, yeah, and partly so because they're yeah. so successful. But like your girlfriend's all, favorite band and stuff like that, like yeah, which is so kind of sexist anyway. But like, totally. I think that like if I, as a songwriter, if I had written the song "Fix You," I would have taken myself out for dinner, and I would have bought myself a nice meal and a bottle of wine. Do you know what I mean? I would have treated myself. Dude. That is an amazing song. And even their more recent stuff, like that song "Higher Power" that came out recently. The second Higher it comes, power, yeah, so catchy, the dude. second it's on the radio, you're like first of all, that's Coldplay, and secondly. I'm now going to sing this for the next three and a half weeks. We got such amazing choruses and hooks. I mean, right. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? And like, I feel like there's a, there is a, there is a strand of jealousy to some of the Coldplay hating because it's, there's something about the way that Chris Martin writes hooks that just feels so effortless. And as somebody who tries to write hooks for a living, it is kind of annoying. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You're just kind of like, yeah, cool. It's another Coldplay song that's just like the most catchy thing of all fucking time. Great. I know. And it Thanks, could, bud. It, some of them sound the same, but there's always something. I do agree. They are like, Maybe this generation's U2, for sure. Yeah, for sure. totally, totally. I'm sure they love U2 or something, something there, I don't know. But U2, too, they were like super punk when they first came out. Yeah, totally. I mean, and you know, the the, the early records, Radio for Europe and all that kind of stuff. Oh, no, sorry, that's R.E.M. Sorry, I'm... No, I've, yeah, I've, yeah, I was I've, like, what is I've, that? I've crossed my... Unforgettable my Fire, uh, Boy, all those records. Include. Please send your complaints about my confusion <laughs> about in, 80s indie. But U2, man, they come from punk rock, big friends yeah, of Ramones, yeah. all that stuff. Like, Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh, well, and the other, the other thing about the other thing about you two is again, like Bono is somebody who's kind of easy to knock. But the bottom line I about know. Bono is that Bono has raised more money than, for charity than anybody listening to this podcast or on this podcast now and for the rest of time, unless you get Bono on this podcast. Do you know what I mean? And it's <laughs> yeah. just like, and there's something you know, I'll t- that's that's worth something actually. Yeah. And in a way, part of the reason people have a go at him is because he puts himself out there. You know, yeah. he could quite easily just like live in a mansion, and have a coke problem forever, and and he'd get less shit. <laughs> but would the, would would he have made a better impact on the world? Yeah, he actually put his lyrics to like he really lives his lyrics. I would say the whole those guys. Doing yeah, stuff. although okay, now I'm gonna I'm now gonna blow your mind. Let's I, go. I want you to take a picture of how your world is now because it's about to fall <laughs> apart. The 
You two are the biggest, most successful Christian band in history. Did not know they were Christian. You read band. their, you read interviews with them carefully. They're, they're all their lyrics are Christian lyrics. Never they're they're not love that. songs. They're about Jesus. This is facts. Uh, yeah, yeah, totally. Wow, I can't live with, without be- you. Is a song about struggling with doubt, Christian doubt. And nobody really knows this until well, now. Well, they they do. They kind of talk and they about it here and say there. that. That's crazy. Yeah, but yeah, they're, they're a Christian man, and and ultimately, I'm not a Christian myself. But I mean, yeah. it, there's there's more than one way of being a Christian, and like again, they've they have to a large extent kind of walked the walk. They've done incredible stuff in terms of raising money for for the for the, for the poor and unfortunate of the earth or whatever. Yeah, I never knew they were religious at all. I never oh thought, yeah, I never, very never very much so. That. Very much so. Damn. So I'm sorry. It's oh. okay. <laughs> so were you born somewhere of West Asia? I was born in the Middle East, but it's yeah. not nearly as exciting as it sounds. It's, um, it's Kingdom of ba- Bahrain. Bahrain, yeah. My my dad had a job out there, and um, I was born out there, and I was there for about six months. Oh, six. And months. I don't remember it at all. Uh, all it means is that I tend to get pulled over at American immigration because I have the word Muharak in my passport, which is the name of the town I was born in. Um, no way. And, well, you know, when wow. it's it's not for any specific reasons, but it's when you've got a guy who's bored yeah, for at sure. immigration yeah. and they're just looking for a flag, something to kind of liven up the day. And Some of those guys are nice too. Oh, you play guitar? You play the... Oh, I was in a band. Like, you know, the... the you get lucky sometimes. The, um, the uh, immigration uh, staff at Boston Airport know who I am. Really? They don't like give me a free pass or whatever, but like... More often than not, when we fly into Logan from the UK, you, you go get, to a lot or something, like, Boston. Yeah, we for we had a lockup in Boston with okay. our American equipment for a time. Okay, and so we'd always start and finish a tour in Boston. Um, and I, I love Boston. Boston's amazing. But like, yeah. it got to the point where we'd fly in, they'd be like, "What's up, Frank?" And I'd just be like, "Is is this appropriate? <laughs> <laughs> like, is this a test? Yeah. Are you gonna? <laughs> You're lucky to get some people. Yeah, sometimes you gonna, those guys are super stoked. Yeah, like you you said. about to put your finger up my ass, like. <laughs> Where's this so, going? So you were born there, you didn't hang out there, grew up nah, there, nothing. Is nah. this kind of the way you were born? And then you end up um, go. Is it mean? Is it Mean Stoke, Hampshire? Mean Me Stoke is a tiny village. Uh, yeah, it, I is know, it Mean I Stoke? It's called Mean 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 Stoke. Mean Stoke, yeah. yeah. And that's where you end up. That's where you moved. That's the, yeah, that's where my folks moved, and I was there for a bit. But I got um, I got shipped off to a boarding school when I was eight years old. I know that's um, crazy, man. Which I mean, we can get into if you yeah. want, but like basically. Uh, my dad was somebody with very kind of uh, highfalutin social aspirations. Gotcha. Let's say that. Uh, I Certainly not a choice that I was consulted on. And even if I had been, I'm not sure an eight-year-old is really qualified to make that choice. No, no, no. Um, I have... Summerfield. Some, that's the one. You've done your in research. Oxford, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, and it's funny because like, there's definitely a sense in which I, I, I don't want to get too far into cod psychologizing myself. Yeah, yeah. But like... That was kind of the end until like a few years ago of me having any real sense of like attachment to a place as home, which meant that when I kind of stumbled across DIY touring as a concept and living out of a van and blah, 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 A, it was appealing and B, it was easy to move into because I was living out of a suitcase anyway. Yeah. Since I was a kid. So, um, so. But going to that school was very traumatic for you, man, for sure. But also, yeah, I, also we kind of found punk rock and yeah, other people into stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I remember, I mean, we sort of mentioned briefly like um, Green Day and Dookie and yep. that that era. Like, Nirvana, I, my first love was Iron Maiden. Fell in love with Iron yeah, Maiden yeah. just because I thought the shirts were you cool. Saw, you saw a friend's poster in his room or this something. This is the one. Yeah. We were yeah. playing uh, Warhammer, like, like Dungeons yep. Dragons type stuff. And then his. 
his older brother had an Iron Maiden poster, and I thought it was cool. And, and you asked then, your mom and parents to buy the Killers record. Well, my dad. So I, I told my parents I got into this thing, and I, I hadn't. I was one of those kids who hadn't really got into anything to this point. So my parents were like, "Hooray!" And my dad <laughs> got me a copy of Killers on cassette, That's sick, uh, and gave it to me. And I, my parent, both of my parents, still sort of regard that as their major error of my youth <laughs> i mean my i should say that like my parents discouraged me listening to music playing in bands going to shows like it was very much like don't do this don't listen to this music don't i was banned for, i wasn't allowed to go were, to shows were they like what was they were straight or religious or what did they uh, want my, you to my do mom is, my mom's father was a priest okay um, but my mom my mom is church of england so it's kind of okay. pretty milk toast it's not like evangelical or anything like that yeah but but i remember like i I, the first music magazine, I went out and bought a copy of Crown that had Cannibal Corpse on the front cover and when I was like 11 and my mum was like, nope. Um, and then uh, I also, I wore, this was more... That makes you want it more though to check it out more. Oh, totally. There were days when my school friends were like shoplifting pornographic magazines and I was shoplifting Kerrang. Wow. Um, uh, and that kind of, and, and, and I remember like we got busted once and the, and the security card sort of turns to me and was like, you can buy that. And I was like, oh yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> but... um. But so, uh, and then, I mean, the other, the other incident from my childhood which springs to mind, and this was definitely more provocative, was I wore a crass t-shirt on Christmas Day one year that said, Jesus died for his own sins, not mine. Wow. And um, my mom cried. <laughs> I, and the thing is, now I don't have kids myself, lots of my friends do. Like, I'm now at an age, you know, you reach an age where you start looking back on your childhood and going, oh, yeah, my parents had a point about some stuff. Yes. Like, I, I feel pretty bad about that. I thought it was the punkest motherfucker in the universe it's at the time. Pretty punk without your parents. And um, now, I mean, it was pretty needlessly <laughs> cruel, should we say? Like a bad religion shirt. Oh my god. That's yeah. Such, yeah. But even a bad religion shirt wouldn't have been as bad as no. the crass one. I mean, there was something, something particularly kind of. <laughs> sharp about that were you playing the piano too before you found um iron maiden uh briefly yeah Yeah. i mean i'm middle class so i got piano lessons as a kid that's what you do right yeah and and, um and i and i hated it and i sucked at it and uh um and then uh i started listening to kind of maiden and then and then you know megadeth sepultura pantera all that kind of thing um and then a guitar yeah and then well basically this guy at my school had this really fucking nice guitar that he got given for christmas and that he didn't want so he just left it in a cupboard in the school and i it was like a les paul gold top wow and i was like can i play that and he was like i don't care because he was like this rich kid dickhead um so but i mean well he wasn't a dickhead he let me borrow his guitar true but But his his attitude towards care less yeah yeah he he, it wasn't a big deal it's a nice guitar yeah so i started kind of like hammering away (laughs) badly 11 years old around 11 Uh, around yeah around 11 yeah and how were you in school? Um, I was I, so I got a scholarship uh, when I was twelve years old. Um, and started with Prince Williams. Yeah, yeah, not really. I is mean, it, we, were fake, this, we were in this. We were we were in the same institution. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Alongside was, of him, it was his friend. I'm just kidding. Yeah, we we. But I was a scholarship kid. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, which my dad was ecstatic about because they couldn't have afforded to send me to that school if I hadn't got a scholarship. So. But I remember being pretty pissed off because he was clearly ecstatic for reasons that had everything to, had to do with everything apart from me as an individual kind of thing. Yeah. But like I was a very bookish kid. I was a um, I studied a lot. I read a lot. I I mean I'm still a total bookworm. I mean I showed up here with a book. Is today. A bu- yeah, you have a book here. That's awesome. What does bookish kid means? Just as in like an American I, like uh, nerd. Yeah, I guess. Um, uh, although book I'm book nerd. Yeah, book nerds. Um, yeah. I, you know, I did well at school um, and uh, I got a place at uh, the London School of Economics, which is a good university. Yeah. And I studied history and I really cared about it. And like my 
uh, my tutor at my university. I was in punk bands and touring by the end of my university years. And she said to me, like, you, she was Polish dissident. She was incredible. We had studied Central and Eastern European history. And she was like, you must stop doing this ridiculous music and come and do your doctorate with me. And I was like, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> Were um, your parents bummed? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It must, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my parent, my mom stopped being bummed about 10 years ago, maybe. Wow. Um, my dad... That's a complicated question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, but it's it's funny, like, whenever I... So this is a thing, and I, I'm going to try and phrase this in the best possible way, but, like, I have friends who, like... And particularly, like, friends of bands who's like, you know, my, my dad put a guitar in my hand when I was born, and, and, and I've yeah. been since I was a kid, which is, of course, what all of my music friends are doing, and I'm not having a go at that. But there's just a tiny part of the inside of me that's just kind of... First of all, I guess, kind of jealous, in a way. But also, it's just, like, my allegiance to in concentric circles like hardcore punk rock rock and roll music underground culture whichever yeah. one of those places you want to win, we want to use is really fierce because i had to fucking fight for it every step of the way not in a way that's i'm not trying to over dramatize this no, but starting say, your house but it was like it yeah. was it was a thing that i wasn't i was told not to do not to have not to pay attention to by everyone do you know what i mean like i didn't even really have i had like one friend maybe two who were into punk rock like yeah. it was just and and it, and it was just like it's this thing that I had to sort of like fight a a path towards at every stage, you yeah. Know? And 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 therefore, uh, I'm incredibly kind of loyal. I guess might be the word. And and it's kind of funny when you get these. I, and a lot of these are my friends that I'm talking about. So again, I'm not trying to like cast <laughs> yeah. dispersions, but they're just like, oh yeah, my dad played me a Ramones record when I was like six. And I'm like, fuck you, man. Like yeah. I had to find out who the Ramones were. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I like I, one of the quotes you have. I love it's like, punk rock was like a life raft for you at that time. Yes, definitely. And like, um, I think for a lot of people, the timing and just yeah, di different people's homes, lives, and they found these this music and these artists. Right. Well, I didn't. My home life. I mean, sidebar things were not good at my home, uh, when I was at home, which wasn't very often. With, yeah, with my dad and with my dad and my mom. And then I hated my school and I fucking hated everybody at my school and I didn't want to be there. And you know, I had issues with kind of self-harm and all this kind of thing when it's yeah and then and then it's like and then the the two i mean if i had to pick my punk rock signposts in life i mean nirvana's number one because kurt cobain used the word punk in interviews a lot and therefore i went well what's that um that's cool <clears throat> the pistols and the clash then kind of come in which was huge for me of course um and like it's interesting at the time the pistols were bigger than the clash then over time the clash became bigger than the pistols but now as of the last kind of three or four years i'm back in the pistols phase again okay i'm definitely <laughs> back on the pistols team not that you have to choose no um and then uh and then yeah green day and dicky but out come the wolves that was a record it's my that, favorite rancid record of, i've tattooed him as my favorite record me too times. i have the oh, you do? my leg as well yeah oh, shit, but like and and like war's end you know that We're at the war's end yeah well so Cover went song, into his Billy room Brad, and smashed right? it, it, it smashed his Billy Ray Billy records Rick and that kind of thing yeah, and it was just kind of like communist lecture yeah and it Damn. was like but that was kind of about me at the time in the way that great songs are when you're a teenager it was like that was my life writ large and then finally like black flag because there was just something about the kind of the absolute pure distillation of rage on that hard. And, and 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 you know I, I like a lot of metal, but there's something about quite a lot of metal that kind of the quote-unquote anger is slightly performative to me or it's slightly kind of genre-dictated, should we say. Yeah. And there's something about, like, 
um, you know, police story, jealous again, uh, nervous breakdown, stuff like that. Incredible. These songs man. are forty seconds long, and they're just there's nothing forced about it. It's just no. like total, total, total adolescent rage, rage. Yeah, and Anger, and, and, yeah. and rejection and defiance in this way that I was just like, give me more. It's of so this. real, man. Yeah. Fuck. I'll go back to one thing real quick. Uh, when when I was um, we used to hang rants a lot, and when I lived in New York. Still great friends with them. They really helped my band. People know this in the pile. They got a sign. They believed in us. Anyway, when they would play uh, Sammy, they would say, Little Toby was up. They would dedicate this in my name oh, instead. That's amazing. And I just got goosebumps when you said that. Yeah, yeah. And also, back to the book nerd shit, which I think about now as I had a shitty education, never got to go to college. My mom couldn't afford to send me to college. Sure. I was too punk for school. But then to think about you and how you're highly educated read books all the time then i think about milo who's a scientist and the singer for bad religion who's a professor and all that stuff i think it's looking looking at it now it's like it's amazing to have education and to um read more i wish i read more i'm like sure. an audiobook guy but like just to say nerd stuff i think that's that's that I don't know, just that yeah. title is kind of mean. Uh, well, so totally, I'm but sorry I mean, about that. That's why I said bookish. <laughs> no, I know. But I'm worried, that's, that's what you say in England. I thought yeah, maybe yeah, it was different yeah. over here. No, yeah. I mean, I guess I'm, 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 I'm trying to be hyper aware of the fact that I, w- I had an extremely privileged education. Do you know what I mean? I really did. And and, and I'm grateful for it. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm, but I'm also kind of proud of it. In a f- not, not proud of the fact of the education, but like, yeah, I read a lot, and like, yeah, I, I, and I never gave a fuck about anyone calling me a nerd. Like, yeah. fuck off, man. And, and, I, and I'm going to apologize to call you a nerd. And <laughs> no, I'm also, no, 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 it's, it's my, and my I'm skin also going to say like, there's also this whole thing of punk rock where it's like, well, now I know you're, you know, obviously you're super smart and educated, but you also had a rough childhood. So there's this thing about like punk rock, where like you can't come from money, you have to have a rough life, you can't be educated, fuck school, fuck the government, fuck everything. But no, actually, there's that's not well, true I think, at all. I think that ultimately, what it demonstrates, what it, what I, there, are, I'm, I'm aware that there are people who disagree with what I'm about to say, and that might be legitimate. But like to me, punk rock isn't about. Well, I'm going to quote my own lyrics. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> it's not about where you're from. It's about where you're heading. Do you know what I mean? Love and that. it's just, it's like the whole point, the reason that things like kind of gatekeeping in the punk rock community piss me off so much is that like the whole fucking point of it to me as a kid was that it was this refuge. It was a place you could go if you weren't welcome anywhere else. 100%. You know what I mean? And like when I, so I was, to move the story on a little bit, you know, I get into all these bands and then I, I remember kind of, I, so my first hardcore show, I went. You're gonna love this. You're about to shit yourself. I went and see. It was at the Garage in London. It was Agnostic Front, Vision, Maximum Penalty, Morning Again, on the eighth of December, nineteen ninety seven. Wow! I still have the ticket stub. No way. That's a that day sick changed my fucking lineup. life. It, part of the reason wow. it changed my life was because it was like I'd been listening to all these kind of bands that had now broken up. Do yeah. you know what I mean? And it's like, these bands are here and real. And then there was a distro table. Remember that shit? Oh yeah, of course. You know, and there was guys with like suitcase full of CDs and there, and I got flyers for London hardcore shows from London hardcore bands playing. And there's a band called Knuckle Dust who- Yes, I know. Yeah. yeah. So they, they're like, I often refer to them as my black flag. Okay. Because like, I saw them a million times and I fuck it. I mean, they're still going. Still going, yeah, yeah. yeah. I actually, the singer- kind of kicked the fuck out of me one time that's another story entirely um but uh but uh i still you know their early records those early shows that was insanely formative for me it's and a I sick think first hardcore show wow yeah that's yeah. some penalty too wow and and um and 
you know, and that just the realization that it's that punk was because up to that point, punk was something I read about in books and listened to records, and it was quite. It was a little bit like my schoolwork, you know, it was sort of academic, it was theoretical yeah. and the rest of it. And it was like, motherfucker, this shit is happening now. And so <laughs> I started bunking off my boarding school as much as I could. I just basically stopped going. <laughs> just went, I had, you know, there were various squats where you could crash. I had a friend in London whose parents didn't really care. So, and, and I just went to shows as much as I possibly could. Uh, and I, like within six months, I'd formed a band, put out a record, put out a zine, started putting on shows. All this kind of business after and, after doing that, right? Yeah, wow, and, ju- and just just lost my mind. Do you know what I mean? And and I and my f- got and indeed got my first tattoo, which is a UKHC tattoo on my top oh, top left arm. As your first one? Yeah, I was sixteen. Wow. Not supposed to do that. <laughs> Did your parents know you got tatted? Uh, no, my parents. I got my first, my second. You are oh, again. I'm gonna blow your mind. My second tattoo is a straight edge tattoo. What? It's an inside out tattoo. Still have it? No spiritual surrender. No spiritual surrender. With wow. two little black X's in courier because it was the it. 90s that's so cool i don't man. really believe in tattoo cover-ups personally i feel like i did it i did mean you meet zach huh you ever meet zach never met zach but like that's a cool tattoo. wow yeah so like um and i had my first two tattoos i got them when i was 16 17 and i had them for five years before my parents knew before they saw them yeah i mean partly like i say i wasn't really at home all that much did they did they kind of freak out on you uh anymore? when i when i so it was my mom's 50th birthday and we went on a family holiday together to a beach place and i couldn't not take my Can't shirt. cover them up. Yeah, so I took them off. I was like, fuck it, I've had five years now and I'm 21, man, so like I'm fully grown. Um, <laughs> and uh, I took my shirt off and my mum burst into tears and said, I spent nine months making that skin. My mom was like that too. You're yeah. pure, your skin, you're, but why'd you do that? I was so pissed. Yeah, yeah. I got letters from my grandparents that this, this begged me to stop getting <clears throat> tattooed when I moved to New York. Um, Didn't work, man. Now, was your first band Knee Jerk? Knee Jerk, uh, well... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how deep are we going here. <laughs> Ninja ne- was the first band of mine that like played shows. Okay, um, I was in a couple of other bands. I mean, one of them was just a bedroom band with my friends. We, you know, when I was when I was eleven and first started playing guitar, me and a couple of friends started fucking around in my friend's bedroom. He had a drum kit, and on school holidays we'd go and play ACDC covers and stuff. And, That's um, cool. ACDC and Nirvana. I mean, we wanted to do Megadeth, but we were completely incapable of playing. <laughs> That kind of stuff, um, and then I think I think we probably did some songs off Dookie as well, um, as time went by. And then uh, I was in a sort of like, Knee Joke was kind of like a sort of self-consciously. We were into stuff like Caven and Refused. Oh, okay, two, yeah, kind yeah. of load stars. I was Knee Joke had a former incarnation that was more like pop punk, but we were completely and utterly, unforgivably, god awfully bad. Is that Million Dead? No, that was after. Okay. Um, uh, but then, yeah, so Nijek, Nijek, we was the first band I was in that like DIY, but like released music. Yeah. Um, and we toured. We did my first tour in the summer of 98. Um, we did two weeks around the UK. We did the kind of book your own fucking life thing. The UK version of there was a zine called Fracture in the UK okay. that had a BYOL section. And we booked um, we booked a two week tour in the summer of 98 and no one came. Um, and it was rad. So fun about it too, yeah. <clears throat> the one show that where people came to was this really formative day for me. We were playing, there was a, used to be a squat in Leeds called 120 Rats. Okay. It was this legendary like crust punk squat. It's a hard name. And we got booked to play there and it was me and this other, my band and this other band. We were all like 16, 17, 18 maybe. And then we had this guy who was driving us who was old enough to rent a van. Um, and uh, we got to the venue and we were, they put our two bands on, first two on and then two other bands who were touring together 
headlining which was Asshole Parade and End of the Century Party. So two okay. American kind of power violence blast beat kind of bands, both of whom I fucking love. Okay. Both of those bands broke up in the car park that night in this gigantic <laughs> fucking eight-way screaming match. No way. Um, and uh, we were like 16 and sat in our van just being like, what the fuck? And then we also found out the squat, which like I say is a proper like crust punk, like, you know, hardcore dog on a string yellow mohawk type dudes yeah um it was it was it was being demolished the following morning so people were literally as the bands were playing were like like sledgehammering holes in the walls and like ripping doors they were like destroying the building as we played in it wow and i just remember thinking i think my parents were right (laughs) maybe i want to go home this is (laughs) this is kind of a bit much it was scary um but yeah, so we did, we we toured and did stuff back then with that band, and so that so ultimately, yes, that was my first problem. Were you into like the squatter scene too? Is that kind of so- tangentially? I was never like a full time squatter. I spent one spring school holiday squatting because my dad kicked me out of the house. Um, you know, we'd have like three weeks off school, um, yeah, and I didn't go home, so I stayed in a squat in uh, Tufnell Park in North London, uh, which was like a black block squat, you know, like hardcore mm-hmm. anarchist thing, but. My uncle, who is my dad's twin brother, who's like my kind of consolation prize dad when I was a kid. We were very close. He passed away a few years ago. But um, his house was kind of three or four blocks away from the squat. So I'd sort of wait until no one was looking and I'd run over and have a proper meal and a shower. <laughs> and then like muss my hair up again and come back. This no was, I was way. like 18 at this point. I'd come back and all the, the other guys would be like, you smell clean. And I'd be like, no, man, no, no, no. Oh, my God, man. <laughs> yeah. So... Um, so then what about, so after, so you start doing bands and you stop. Yeah, I started doing bands. Shows, um, and, and basically putting on shows. I left school and, and Nijak broke up when I left school. Um, and then the drummer from Nijak, yeah. uh, for what Ben Dawson, Ben Dawson, the great Ben Dawson. He was, so, I mean, to recount the story, he was, I was living in London and just kind of working shitty kind of temp jobs and stuff and just going to shows and buying records and was kind of directionless to be honest. And then. I had been in a band with Ben and then he he formed a band with two people he met at his work. He worked in a record store who were both kind of like six, seven years older than us and they were Australians and they were into stuff like Queens of the Stone Age when they first came out and like Hot Snakes and, yeah. you know, that sort of territory, um, and which I was less familiar with at the time. And I, I thought that they were just a three-piece band and, they, and I had nothing to do and I had no money and they were like, hey, we've got band rehearsal tonight. Do you want to come and hang out? I was like, fuck it, it's something to do with an evening. And I went <laughs> down, and it turns out they didn't have a singer, and the whole thing was a fucking setup, and there was a no microphone way. on a stand waiting for me. And they were all just like, eh, eh, want to give it a go? So I did, and Ben thought it was great because we'd been in the band together, and the other two thought I was terrible, and we were like, absolutely not that guy. <laughs> um, because basically, they wanted somebody to sound like Josh Homme, and I went in like Dennis Lixon. And those two were just like, what the fuck is this horrible noise? Um, and then basically I just sort of hung around them for a few months until eventually they didn't get anyone else. And then, uh, um, and then like I had like a four track machine and I kind of recorded a demo and then I ran off and like bounced the four tracks down to one and put some vocals over it and kind of gave it back to them. And they were like, fine, you're in the fucking band. Wow. Um, and then that's how Million Dead started. <laughs> Did that last for a couple of years that like you guys touring put records out? Yeah. yeah. So that, so that was, a, it was an interesting the thing about the band. It was kind of like a culture clash in many ways, um, in, in ways that were productive, but also meant that we weren't long lived. So like there was me and Ben who grew up with the hardcore scene and that was our thing. And we, you know, all the first shows we played were kind of like squat shows and stuff that we had been doing with knee joke. Yeah. 
Julia, our bass player, like she worked as an intern at a major label and she knew what a booking agent was and what a manager did and she understood the music industry and she had ambitions to be part of the music industry. Um, and, you know, as I say, there was this kind of kind of sleaze rock kind of vibe thing yeah. over here and then me and Ben were into kind of like political, technical, hardcore. And um, somehow in the midst of all of this... Uh, we came up with something and actually the other it was the 20th anniversary of our debut album coming out like a few weeks ago and i listened to it for the first time in a long time which wow. was really lovely actually um because it's long enough ago now that i can listen to it with some distance yeah and like we that came out in 2003 and there was the kind of the sort of british version of the kind of mainstream emo thing was going on at the time with 100 reasons funeral for a friend helen's for heroes those kinds of bands all of whom wonderful people great bands but like we never really felt like we had anything in common with them musically but they were around at the time so we toured with all of them yeah um and we sort of therefore post hardcore band or whatever yeah. i thought i always thought we were just a hardcore band and i think that cameron our guitarist in particular would have been horrified at the suggestion we were a hardcore band and i think he thought we were a rock and roll band yeah kind of thing but like there's <laughs> so it just ended up being this really weird mishmash of different stuff going on and i'm really proud of the music we made because i think it's I think it's individual. I was going to say unique, but that's probably too strong. Mm. I mean, we were definitely obsessed with that, the drive-in you can hear now. Okay. I think that was the brand that kind of brought us all together, them and Fugazi or whatever. But, um, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm proud of what we did back then. We did two records. We toured. We were together for about four and a half years. Um, it fell apart in the end. Uh, relations broke down, basically, mm -hmm. between us. We were doing long tours in small vans with no crew, no money. Were you just doing music or were you working jobs when you came um, home? Well, for most of the time, I was working kind of crappy telesales jobs in between okay. tours. That You know, the usual shit. Telemarketing stuff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that sucked. Um, I had a great gig for a while. My sister had an office job and she got to hire temps. And so... She hired me. When Come I was and go as you tour. please. Yeah. yeah, yeah, totally. Um, Did you have aspirations to be a musician at that point? Is oh, yeah, it, totally. All I, all I want to do, yeah. Yeah, I wasn't working on doing anything else with okay. my life. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, so basically towards the end of Million Dead, I had this moment in time where it was like, I was paying rent on a flat in London and I was never there. And I was like, it's a fucking waste of time. And I was like... Uh, I started getting crew jobs for other bands. So I would like sell merch for a band um, or sell or do guitar teching for a band or whatever. Or, you know, still pretty... I'm. Uh, this is more kind of like the rock scene than the hardcore scene okay. at this point. But like, you know, bands that we were friends with or yeah. whatever. So there's a band called Ruben. I did merch for them for fucking ages. And we'd almost like coordinate our tours. Because basically I had this moment where I just sold a bunch of my shit put some of it in the attic at my mom's house and then was like fuck it i'm a free agent i'm gonna live on tour for the rest of my life hooray wow. um and that was in how old are you then yeah that was 2004 so i was like 22 at that point yeah and then the band broke up like six months later <laughs> and uh that sucked yeah. um and um but i mean it, the, there is some sort of formativeness in this in the sense that like i'd, I'd had this idea of playing an acoustic guitar um, I did a show number one, which was 19 years ago yesterday. I count my shows. Wow. Last night's show was show number 2,815. And show number one was 19 years ago to the day. It was the 18th century. It's like Rain Man style. That's For amazing. Dates, yeah. Um, you write it down somewhere or no? Yeah, I've got a list on my website. I've got every show I've ever done on my website. So, so how many shows total? 2,815 under my name. Million did to 256. 
Um, and then uh, knee jerk. I'm not entirely sure because I wasn't counting back then, and I've been trying to reconstruct it. I'm sure it's driving uh, crazy. Yeah. yeah, it really fucking is. <laughs> not least because like it's all of this is on my website. If anyone wants to read that it, is so I found amazing. a flyer. And this is so 90s hardcore. I found a flyer for a knee-jerk tour that has the list of dates, some of which kind of cross-reference with other flyers I found. I was like, yeah. oh, that show definitely happened. And then like one of the dates on the tour is like Manchester Venue TBC. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> I can't remember if we did a Manchester show or if we just didn't do one yeah. or if we did where it was or if it was in someone's fucking house. Wow. And that kind of bugs me, as you might That's now I wish I knew how many shows you played. That's incredible. <laughs> the man. thing is, like, man, did that. yeah, everybody does. And, like, the thing is, I didn't start this. It was Ben Dawson who you mentioned. He okay. counted the Million Dead shows, and I thought he was out of his fucking mind. And then when the band broke up, I was really stoked that he'd done it because there was a record. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, did you, you journal on tour too? Not really, no. I, I, I did for a time, but I was kind of doing it because Henry Rollins does, and I thought I should probably do that too. And then after a while, I was like, nah, you're right. Um, but uh, but yeah, so, the, but it's, but so anyway, so I'd done these couple of acoustic shows here and there. I was, I'd started listening to a lot of country and folk music okay. and stuff like that. And then. And Springsteen. And Springsteen, yeah, that was certainly part of it. It's slightly that's slightly become part of the kind of press pack myth, yeah, I guess, more okay. so than it needs to be. I mean, okay. don't get me wrong; I'm a huge fan, and yeah. Nebraska was Nebraska and Devils and Dust and Ghost of Tom Joad were signpost records for me. But I would say the American Johnny Ca the Johnny Cash American Recordings Ooh. thing that was kind of like the first because this is the thing because my parents don't listen to any music past 1900 basically, and my older sister, my older sister got me into Levelers, Counting Crows. And and Soul Asylum, I think, um, nice. and Tori Amos as well, Amazing. stuff like that. But like, but I was a total autodidact, and when it came to my music, essentially all of that stuff aside. And what that meant was that, but what I heard, I heard and could sing you all the words to the song Bob Dylan wrote propaganda songs by the Minutemen before I'd ever heard a single song by Bob Dylan. Gotcha. Um, and like, so in my kind of towards the end of Million Dead's time, I started basically educating myself, and I like so i listened to neil young and was like motherfucker this guy's has anyone heard this guy and everyone's like yes pretty <laughs> punk yeah totally same with johnny cash yeah yeah johnny cash bruce springsteen um ryan adams heartbreaker yeah. all that kind of stuff and, and this was all new to me it was totally fucking new to me and and it was like so i mean i mean i even just did shit like sat down and listened to the entire beatles discography from the top to the bottom because i hadn't yet you never even cared about because you're <laughs> punk like whatever yeah. yeah um and uh it's mainstream whatever yeah yeah and 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 you know and then this kind of like this so the reason i'm, I'm bringing this up now is that the, this whole thing of having sold all my shit and moved out of the house it was like i felt pretty let down by the way the band ended yeah incidentally i'm old enough now to recognize that it was as much my fault as anybody else's but at the time, I was like, they fucked me, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I didn't want to depend on anybody else. I kind of had to keep touring because I didn't have anywhere else to go. And then it was like, fuck, man, I can play a show on my own with an acoustic guitar. I can, I'm completely self-contained, both logistically and kind of emotionally. Do you know what I mean? Like, Just counting yourself, that's yeah, it. Yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? And so... I st basically with Million Dead we sort of agreed to break up a few months before we did so I just, just started doing solo touring and then we did a farewell tour and then I just rolled straight into touring on my own and Damn. I did about three years of touring on the train in the UK because I didn't I only learned to drive five years ago which makes Americans lose their minds but you only what? learned to drive about five years ago wow because I lived in London for most of my life so how old are you now? 41 I started driving at you're going to trip on this too then at 36 the same as me i moved exact here same. 
from New York. I never drove my whole life. It's the exact same and thing. And I hate driving at this moment. I, oh, well, I hate driving in LA, but I like, I like driving. I sold my car two years ago and I got my son a car. I walk, I jog, I take scooters, I skateboard. I, I act like I live in New York City still and I stay in my little world. I brought you yeah, to yeah, one of the yeah, spots. Sure. I just I never never had driven. When you get older it seems like it's more stressful to drive. I don't know. I like I like a, a long a long cross country drive. Okay. And I like driving on my own. Okay. Don't tell my wife I said that. <laughs> um but you know, you're in charge of the stereo. So you didn't start yeah, so you didn't start driving too late. I yeah. respect that, yeah. But so all that early touring, I got to know the British train system incredibly well. I learned to hate it with a particularly sort of a precise like degree of hatred. Um, but, you know, and, and like I, I, that first sort of two, three years, like I played fucking anywhere and everywhere, like people's bedrooms, um, student university halls, squats, uh, bars, wow. venues. Opening, at times like opening for bands who I've been friends with from the Million Dead days and stuff like that. There was, because Million Dead, like the biggest show we ever played, we sold 800 tickets in London. Um, and that was our farewell show. Um, and so we weren't nothing, but it's not like we were yeah. fucking the Arctic Monkeys, you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. Um, and so there was a, and, and then I chose to play this radically different style of music. In fairness, I think there's probably more commonality. There's, there was more of a common thread between the two because it's just it's still me singing, you know oh, what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. At the time, I was just regarded it as a one hundred percent clean break, and I didn't. I, I still went into it with the expectation that nobody who liked Million Dead would like what I was doing. Now, some people did actually. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I, I just did all this touring, and it sort of snowballed. But it, there was a sense in which I kind of reset to zero. You know, yeah. eight hundred people at the last show. My first London show we played, we had two people solo show. Wow. So you know, there was a learning curve there. So was it like? was like i don't want to fail i don't want to give up i want to play music for this is what I, all i want to do i want to prove myself the, um the everything thing, the thing that's weird about it right is i don't want to work a real job anything yeah that i mean all of that was kind of part of it but like essentially at the time when i started doing this at the very beginnings of my solo career i was like on a mission yeah and all my friends thought i'd lost my fucking mind and because it worked out so because it worked out looking back all my friends now think i must have known exactly what i was doing and i look back and think i must have lost my fucking mind yeah we've switched completely <laughs> yeah I, and and the, i genuinely find it quite hard to think myself back into that mindset mm. you know i think my mom when my band broke up was like phew he'll go and get a real job now and this then i it. didn't yeah, it's over, and it's yeah. not even that i didn't get a job i went and did an even more diy version <laughs> of what i've been doing before and i think my mom was harder yeah made it harder and did it on my own and like i wasn't to prove he could do it <laughs> kind of but I think the thing that I and this is gonna I'm kind of blowing my own trumpet here so forgive me that but like the one thing I can think of is that like I was in this really really pure way that you can only be quite this pure when you're young I was following my art yeah I had a thing to say and a way of saying it of course yeah. and I knew that I wanted to communicate that with the world and of course I didn't want to stop I loved touring um, yeah I didn't want to go home um, I didn't have particularly have a home to go to and blah 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 but the driving force was that I was just writing these songs. Yeah, and things you want to say and talk about to the world. Yeah, yeah, and and, and and it was playing because to later period Million Dead we got pretty complicated and not we were never quite Dillinger Escape Plan, but you know, and and like the lyrics got pretty sort of obtuse, deliberately obtuse, and all the rest of it. And then suddenly it was like I'm going to tell a story over three chords, and that felt so punk to me. It totally. felt terrifying and it felt sort of like liberating. And a lot of that, there was a bar I started staying at in London in between tours called Nambuka and there was a scene around there and it was my buddy Jay who's playing on 
Saturday with me in Anaheim. Like, awesome. And uh, Mumford and Sons are one of the bands who are there. Laura Marling, Jamie T., Christy T., all these kind of people. There was a sort of folk scene, and I was the punk kid on the folk scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it was just like they were playing these three-chord songs about what we all did last weekend. And like it was a very, very heavy chemical scene. Like we were all on a shitload of drugs. Okay. Um, and uh, but I mean, remember one of the my friend Jay Beans on Toast. He goes by. We had this completely demented evening, sort of weekend that had featured quite a lot of acid. And then the following Friday, he played a new song about last weekend, and it was just like wow fuck man you don't have to spend six months writing complicated metaphors about polish communism for your lyrics <laughs> like this can just be you know it's that immediate yeah it's yeah, a community yeah. communicating with itself that's what punk rock was supposed to be for sure so that was a mother major kind of driving factor yeah were you partying hard before that or just when you uh, kind of i mean so i was straight edge from yeah so before i was straight edge i did a fair amount of drugs um when i was young like age 13 14 15 um I, I look back now, I find it hard to, re- to, to understand why 15-year-olds would do speed, given that you're kind of on speed when you're 15 anyway, by nature of existing. But, um, <laughs> you know, speed and glue and smoking weed and all that kind of thing. I, I say smoking weed, smoking hash, which I'm reasonably sure, looking back, was actually moldy car tires that my friend's older brother was selling us. <laughs> nice. Um, which made you feel weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, so speed, hash, no, sp- no coke, kind of nothing like that? No, yeah. I, 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 that hadn't come on my radar when I was... 15 or whatever then i discovered minor threat and earth crisis and was like sick cool i've got an identity and also you know my, i would i didn't I, I wasn't part of a straight edge crew i didn't yeah. know anyone else who was straight edge i was just straight it was edge. just you wow um and then so uh, how old are you then when you stop everything what 16 okay and then i uh i had a, a miserably awful and protracted breakup when i was about 21 and started drinking <laughs> again um uh, and then in pretty short order kind of got into other things as well and essentially had a very long and often extremely destructive relationship with uppers broadly writ mm. so powders and pills powders and pills um, and like you know sometimes it was fun you, you it's familiar- hardcore I heard like the come down from that like the night is great and the next morning is just like oh well I'd go for dark like, I'd, I'd just stay up for like five days at a time kind wow. of thing like, all that kind of business um, and uh, do you know the Hold Steady? You know that band? I know the name. Yeah, they're, they're one of my favorite bands for many different reasons. But there's a lyric on well, the first time I heard their third record, "Boys and Girls in America," which is their masterpiece. Okay, there's a lyric in it where Craig, who's since become a friend of mine, I'm pleased to say, but he just sings the line. It started recreational and it ended kind of medical, and it just broke my heart. Again, it was like listening to to Black Flag when I was a kid. Yeah. It was like somebody was like, this song is about you. And uh, Wow. There was definitely a moment when, when, this is the thing when talking about drugs, like, I mean, first of all, I'm, I happen to be pro-legalization of everything because <laughs> drugs win war on drugs, as the Onion headline had it. Yeah. Um, it's, the anti-drugs laws made no impact on my ability to get drugs throughout my entire career as a drug addict. Um, uh, so... Go figure. But um, uh, the um, it just made them less safe and it made me hang out with some shitty fucking people and get in some horrible fucking situations and probably put some other chemicals in my body I didn't need to. Again. Yeah, there's people that probably really let your friends just connected by drugs and just yeah, 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 to yeah, get, totally. yeah. But like, so um, uh, did the, the beginnings of all that were fun. I had the best times of my fucking life, my God. About the first sort of 10 times I did ecstasy it will remain some of my favorite memories for the rest of my life. Problem with it is I did so much ecstasy that I sort of killed that part of my brain as far as I can tell. Wow. Um, 
uh, and then I did a lot of cocaine and a lot of other drugs as well. And and um, I'm I'm broadly speaking, shot of that for the time being, which I think is important to kind of carve out. I have no intention of going back to it. Yeah, how always, long have you been sober for from it? Now? I'm not sober sober, isn't it? Okay. In that I drink alcohol. Okay, yeah. Um, but I mean, like last night, I had half a glass of wine. Wow, um, <laughs> you're going hard. I know, crazy shit. And then I was like, man, I'm I'm tired. Yeah, and I went to bed. Older, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but like, uh, I but coke a long time. Ah, uh, four years. Okay, still, man. Congrats, yeah. congrats. Yeah, man. It's um, it's my, hard. It's hard to quit. It was hard to quit. I had the uh, wonderful bonus of my then partner, now wife, then girlfriend, now wife. Essentially, going fuck you, no. Oh, she's still with you. Yeah, yeah. She's amazing. She's a yeah, real yeah. one. Well, wow. we had this moment in time a few years ago when we've been together for hold on. Eight years. Um, early doors. What's her name? Jess. Shout out to Jess, man. Yeah. And, well, and also she's uh, doing, she's just finishing her doctorate in counseling psychotherapy, which means that I lose all of the arguments that we ever had, which was <laughs> totally. always true. But now she tells me why I lost afterwards. Um, <laughs> but like, amazing. She, um, there was a moment early on in our relationship where she kind of said, it's me or the drugs. And I went, the drugs. And then she left and I went, no, wait, that was the wrong answer. Oh, um, wow. And it took me a good six months to kind of re-ingratiate myself with her. She came, she's the one man she came back that's yeah, awesome yeah. man yeah um, but like you know I remember having a conversation because she's not uh, somebody who's never done drugs but it wasn't, wasn't yeah. how it was with me and I remember having a conversation with her one time and just sort of saying and this one I hadn't done coke for a couple of years it was like yeah. I think about doing cocaine probably six or seven times a day and and like when I say think about it I mean I think about the mechanics I think it, like if I walk into a hotel room I scan if, if I walk into a bar bathroom I check it out for how does the door lock? Is there a wow. flat service? Is it clean? Can I wipe it down? Am I going to need to flush while I snort? Like, how's this going to work? Do you know to this mean? day? Oh yeah, fuck yeah! Wow, dude, this is a nice tabletop you got here. Uh, it, this, it looks this pretty work. good. I just thought, but that's taking a marble table. Yeah, but this is the thing about hotel rooms. Hotel rooms the world over are designed for taking cocaine in. <laughs> you know, lots of long through flat your eyes, but other people just a hotel. Yeah, that's interesting. So you know, so it's a struggle. I, I have a, I have my routines and systems in place these days. Mm. Um, I mean, the last few times anybody's offered me any, I've just been like, fuck no, dude. Um, and it's not a massive problem. But, you know, life throws brick vents. So. You got friends who are still on it that we were on it back then probably or no? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, um, but I mean, as I'm sure people know, there's nothing more boring than hanging out with somebody who's on cocaine if you're not on cocaine too. Okay. It, is, it is the single most tedious thing in the whole world. And I'd like to take this opportunity to apologize to everybody who ever hung out with me when I was high and they weren't high because <laughs> Jesus, God in heaven. Um, but like, so, you know, I'm, wow. I think my friends know that I don't do it anymore. Let's say that. Yeah. Is, is writing music different? I never wrote music when I was fucked up. Okay. I write music about getting fucked up. Okay. Um, uh, often. And, and in some ways I still do from time to time. Um, yeah. But, uh, I sort of don't really buy the idea that drugs help creativity. I think drugs can help with some drugs can help with some things. And one of the things that help with is getting completely out of your fucking mind. And I think there's a place for that. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, I don't yeah. want to sit here and say I've gone on my last bender of any kind. I don't want to do coke again, but like, yeah. Do I want to just go completely out of fucking bananas for a few days? Yeah. Yeah. yeah maybe I do. <laughs> um, the problem is now, of course, that it hurts for so long afterwards now. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, right. <clears throat> um, but like... What about... Sorry, Carl. What about like... We don't have to talk about it, but even like... I'll say we can edit if you want to, but they call it like cocaine dick. Like even like... 
trying to have sex when you're on drugs. It oh, affects yeah. everything that your sex life, all that shit. Uh, or the opposite. Sometimes. Okay. It depends what you're Some people say you it makes you stay up all night like that or sometimes say you can't do anything but uh, I heard it, things it, that it they vary, call it that it varies from person to person it varies from supplier to supplier and it varies what other drugs you're taking it with uh, um, but it can't affect obviously that kind of life and all the other life yeah yeah but Good I mean as I yeah. say I used, to, I used to just go on these like dates so when Jess and I first met like I went out for a beer one night and came home like four days later and she was just like what the fuck um, wow and uh, I was like what have I been gone <laughs> kind of thing Like, I mean I knew I had obviously I was Playing, playing in this. And then what do you balance that with when you come down? You have to get something to get back to level yourself out, right? Uh, kind of. I mean, the other thing is that like essentially... So I never tried anything. I just listen to people's experiences. Okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the other problem, the, the thing, things went pretty south with me for all of that because essentially I was on tour. I never really did it on tour. And, and for a long time, for a decade or more, I would tour so much and I'd have like four days off and I'd come home and I'd get high for three days and then sleep it off and then I'd go back on tour again. Happy days. And actually... If you're in your 20s, I don't personally think there's anything particularly wrong or unhealthy about that myself because it was self-contained. Okay. And then essentially in my kind of 30s when my career, music career was going better and yeah. I had more money and that meant also that there was kind of more time off between tours. And I remember kind of like coming home after a really long tour and we'd like just have my first gold record come out and all this kind wow. of thing. And I got home and I did my standard three-day get on it with my home friends and then I slept it off. And then I was like, I'm still at home. Well, I'll start again then. <laughs> and just sort of went back into it because that's what I did when I wasn't at yeah. tour, on tour. And then suddenly it was like I didn't have a limiting principle anymore. And there were a handful of occasions when I did get high when I was on tour, which is probably the things I'm most ashamed of because I played bad, like catastrophically bad shows on two occasions because I was out of my fucking mind. Wow. Um, and that bothers me and will bother me to the day I die. Um, are those are those recorded online somewhere or no? Uh, I don't know. Um, no, they're not. They're not. Uh, well, I'm not going to tell you which shows they were. So. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Um, but so you, know, you did, did you feel like you did bad, or, or the the crowd noticed you were messed up? I thought it was self evident. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I don't know though. Yeah. yeah After maybe, one of the shows, some know. kid came up to me and told me it was his favorite show he'd ever seen in his See? life, and I was just like, <laughs> I mean, you're wrong. <laughs> that is but, so. Uh, <laughs> wow. But, but yeah, so. Did you ever uh, almost overdose or anything? Oh, yeah. I mean, if we, again, I don't want to get too far into specifics of this, but like um, overdosing on cocaine is a slightly gray area. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think about heart attack. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, a heart attack is a form of an overdose on cocaine. I never actually had a heart attack. Well, I like your heart get racing, getting like panic attacks. Uh, yeah. I mean, I definitely had medical interventions. Um, and Interventions, yeah. Um, I also. I mean, I, t I on a number of occasions took enough cocaine that I started hallucinating, which is not what that drug is supposed to do. Um, okay. But uh, it it can be done. I wouldn't recommend wow. it. Um, so. Yeah, I've never heard of that. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, glad, like, glad, that's glad. like day six. Day six. <laughs> so, in a sense, you could say you, you miss it? It's really Maybe easy. Maybe the thought of it or? Uh, there is a certain part of my brain that kind of like lights up a little bit when I talk, when I tell those kinds of stories. Yeah, it's interesting. Um you know, um, and I think I've learned to recognize that I think one of the things that I think everybody does at a certain or has to do at a certain age is is learn how best to put this. This is a function of, of kind of maturity, I think, is that is putting things in their right place. Yeah. Um, and it's just a bit kind of like, you know, I did that. The good times I had with all that stuff were great. And I'm like, 
I did it better than any motherfucker kind of thing. Um, and it's <laughs> the like, best. And, but it should go there and it shouldn't go everywhere. Do yeah. you know what I mean? There's a time and a place for everything. And like, you know, I mean, I physically, I just can't do it anymore. I'd, I'd die if I tried living, doing a two-nighter and fucking kill me. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, but also like, yeah, it's just, there's a time and a place for everything. This is kind of goes back to what we were talking about before the podcast. There's a time and a place for people to be in young, super aggressive, like be into stuff like Turnstile. Turnstile are great. Yeah. And, and they're, they're not for you and me in the first instance. We can get into them and I am into them. They're great. But it's just, it's like, don't fucking stand at the front with your arms folded saying it's not as good as when you saw Sick of It All in the early 90s or whatever the fuck, man. Like, mm. fuck off, make space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's a similar kind of vibe. Like, I sort of feel like I, I've successfully put that kind of behavior that we're chatting about in a box that goes there yeah and like and i look at it for memories but i'm not fucking getting back in it again i um, like that do you know what i mean yeah like there's something about that and there's a sense of acceptance in it to a degree as well and just sort of knowing where things go yeah because my I mean? mom was smoking like our whole entire life so like she was like 60 years she smoked cigarettes she quit like almost 15 years ago Maybe. she still says that I miss it. I love to have a cigarette. If she sees somebody smoking a cigarette, I love to have a cigarette right now. She's never going to do it, but she has these memories. Oh, yeah. Kind of well, it's her, funny, guess, actually. So cigarettes is a different thing to hard drugs, in, in my opinion. You um, smoke cigarettes? I, I did for a long time. Yeah. I don't anymore. I, okay, I wander in and out of vaping. Um, it makes me feel like an idiot, but I... Okay. I call it my... Whatever an, works, man. I call it my anti-murder device. Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> You know, but like, but I mean, and I've always said, this is really interesting. Your mom said that because I've always had this thing. The the major reason actually that I quit smoking is it was affecting my singing voice. And this is the reason this vocal box here is the reason I don't have to get a real job. So this motherfucker. We talked about that earlier. Yeah, yeah. Um, and like there is, I've always thought that if there was any way that the universe could go ding, you can't be a singer anymore, that I would immediately buy a packet of Marlboro Lights and smoke the whole goddamn thing. Um <laughs> You know, uh, there's wow. a ri- but there's ritualism to smoking, mm-hmm. and like my the part of the reason I was so, I was quite a heavy smoker, and the reason was the drinking, the smoking together. Yeah, kind of. It's more that my favorite cigarette of the day is the one before breakfast. You get up, you make a cup of coffee, you go and sit outside, and you spark up a smoke, and you take that drag, and you're just like, I'm ready for the day. Wow. And I love there was there was a kind of yeah there's a kind of meticulousness, but the, I think this is true of lots of uh, addiction. Actually, yeah, because I definitely I had my spots where, where I hid my stuff. I had my methodology for doing it. I had like, people who I called. Do you know what I mean? There's a there's yeah. a kind of there's almost a structure to it. I mean, I was never into heroin, but I know that heroin addicts are much more meticulous than this. Generally speaking, heroin addicts are extremely meticulous people. They have that kind of structure in their routine. Yeah, um, routine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. and um. I, I, I'm not going to say I'm never going to smoke a cigarette again. I am going to say the last time that I did smoke one, it was horrendously awful. It wasn't like I remember it being, because if you're not into it, then it's yeah. just like, Bleh. That's what I'm saying. My mom probably would never do it, but she does talk about it, and she thinks about those days of smoking. My wife is addicted to Diet Coke, but only from 7-Eleven and only with the ice machines, and we have hundreds and hundreds. People have seen me post before, hundreds of plastic bingo cups all over this house. I tried to have her quit. She quit for like six months. This is her thing. She knows every 7-Eleven in Los Angeles. She knows every homeless person, every 7-Eleven. She knows the people that work there. She gets her ice. She, it's, it's, it's a thing. She has every morning. Yeah, she gets her Diet Coke. She doesn't even finish these big gulps or super big gulps. It's routine. It's her addiction. And she loves it. And this is yeah. her thing. And I, it's like, it could be worse, but this is her routine every day. I think, well, I think everybody has kind of neat structure and routine to some degree. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, um, 
Uh, I mean, some people more than others, of course. But like every 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 ex heroin addict I know is a major gym gym bunny. Like every single one. Um, it's and it's, I mean I don't mean to be morbid, but it's like you start taking heroin, you either end up dead or buff. Like, <laughs> those are your options. Yeah, a lot of my friends who were sober, they like to totally great shape. Now they focus on that. Like that's right. the, that's the addiction. That's the adrenaline, I guess. Exactly. But at least it's healthy. Yeah. 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 Wait. Are you are you are you a workout guy? Uh, I, I again, I kind of wander in and out of it. Like sometimes, yeah. I mean, to be honest, the sh- uh, same as you, but like the shows we, when I'm on tour, the shows we do is enough cardio. Great cardio, thank you very much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I went, I got really into running over the pandemic, and then we started touring again. I was trying to do runs in the morning and shows in the evening, and my body was like, "Excuse me," <laughs> like no. So At now, night, yeah, that's hard. Yeah. Now I tend to run when I'm not on tour. I mean, it's a different. It is not the same set of muscles. But no, it, but uh, I tend to run when I'm not on tour and, and not when I am. How many miles do you run usually? Oh, I'll, I mean, I got, I started trying to build up my distance. I mean, I tend to do it in kilometers, um, but like, oh yeah, I did like 10k's. I did, I did a 15k a couple of times, but if I do a 15k, I like kind of can't walk the next day, and I'd much rather do kind of like 5k and then do that four days a week. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 5k is probably like what two and a half miles, three yeah, miles, that's nice. maybe. And you were doing these, um, which I looked at, are pretty cool. These independent venue love you were doing oh, these, yeah. these live streams during the pandemic yeah and playing like full album streams yeah definitely well That's so awesome. i mean I, I there was a so i did i mean i did more live streams than than, <laughs> than was advisable um i did a lot but it was I t- it turned into this fundraiser thing for independent music venues yeah and, it's really um, cool and we rate we kept 21 venues open so that was cool um and we raised 300 grand so Happy days. And then you're doing the uh, the last evening sp- festival. Yeah, so this is this is that's what I'm doing out here. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, starting on Thursday um, in Anaheim. Uh, it's number six. Lost him six this year. Um, and basically, um, uh, it started. A bunch of people in the UK were trying to get me to like have my own outdoor festival. Yeah. And I don't know if you know how much like toilets and trackway and fencing cost, but Jesus fucking <laughs> Christ, dude. Never even thought about that. Um, but essentially, putting on a <laughs> festival in a field is really, really financially sure. enormous. And also, like the Levelers have their own festival, two thousand trees festival. There's a bunch of festivals I love, independent small festivals, and it was like I'm just gonna kind of copy them and thereby crowd their market, and that's a dickhead thing to do yeah and then um there's a british band called wolf alice i don't know if you know wolf mm. alice they're they're amazing uh then they're, they're old friends of mine and they their first album blew up and they could have done a ten thousand cap on their first album tour and they didn't want to so instead they did four nights at a two thousand cap and with different support acts each night and i That's went to, cool and i went down to the whole thing and I, and I was hanging out with their manager and he was like man it's almost like a mini festival and i was like yes it is and forget you just said that <laughs> do you know what i mean like fucking Jedi mind trick that shit out of his head <laughs> so that's the first one we did in 2017 yeah. uh, at the Roundhouse in London um, and as we have two stages we have panel discussions we have activism we have charities we have uh, generally speaking seven bands a day uh, you know or A being on the stages and then we have like tattoo shops nearby and bars nearby and restaurants nearby kind of get involved and blah 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 it's awesome the first is that stress we're putting that stuff on <clears throat> it is I would say that it's more stressful for my crew than it is for me because generally yeah. I, I lie on a chaise long in a toga eating grapes and coming up with annoying ideas for my crew and then they yeah. have to do them maybe <laughs> um, <laughs> not be 100% factually accurate but like um, the it's we and also like we're kind of getting into rhythm the idea was always that it moves so we've done it in London Berlin Boston now Anaheim and then next year when's this going out? whenever you want okay you can say next year it's fine next year's going to be Let's in go. Toronto 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then we'll do other places around the world. Uh, and we'll come back to London as well before anyone from London actually tars and feathers me for not doing it in London again. <laughs> anyway, um, but so, it, and it's just really cool. I get to, the, My favorite part of it is I get to curate it. I get to pick the bands. That's cool. Um, you know, so like this year we have Pedro the Lion playing, who is in my top one songwriters of all time. Um, wow. Like he might be my favorite songwriter. That's awesome to have him on there, yeah. Yeah, I've never met him. And I've told all of my band and crew that they have to keep an eye on me when I'm around him because I don't want to be a total punisher. Fanboy, yeah. Yeah, but I probably will be. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, so uh, we've got that. Uh, Pedro Lions playing. Um, Co-Defendants are playing. Um, we have, oh, my mind's going back, Chuck Reagan's on. Oh, that's cool. Uh, who's an old, old friend. We've got Destroy Boys, who are a new band. Who yes. Are amazing. No, they're awesome. Um, Last Gang are playing. Uh, there's loads of people playing. Katie Tunstall's playing, which is going to be fucking rad. She's an old friend too. Um, Micah Schnabel, who, if you're not familiar with Micah Schnabel, I know the name. Yeah, he was in a band called Two Car Garage. Okay, he's a very dear friend of mine. He does all this stuff now. We played together last night, um, and he's as good as early Dylan at his best. And I said that on a podcast. Wow. And I'll stand on Bob Dylan's <laughs> coffee table in my cowboy boots and defend that statement. <laughs> you wear cowboy boots? No. Okay. Um, <laughs> and it was cool. He, he had a stage named after your friend Nick Alexander. Yeah, Nick uh, died at the Bath Climate yeah, attack. Yeah, I know. Uh, the, the I never met anybody who knew somebody who passed from there. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, so his sister and I have become good friends. We never met before he died. It's, okay. We met. We met at the BBC because we were both on telly to discuss. Wow. What had happened um, on the news, which was fucking weird. That is crazy. Um, uh, he, I mean, Nick was a good friend of mine. He was a touring friend. Um, you know, it was increasingly time ago now i miss that motherfucker but yeah the nice thing so zoe and i became really good friends out of the back of that actually the other the other really close friend i made out of that was josh homie who was good friends with nick as well and um again we sort of met doing the kind of fundraising memorial for his charity and have become good friends wow so the fest was this week in anaheim um also your other group sleeping souls um just dropped a song called rivals yeah well so the sleeping souls are my e street band as it were that's the way to think about it street band nice yeah but as in like until literally like 48 hours ago (laughs) they didn't exist as an independent entity wow i mean obviously i knew that this was coming this wasn't like they didn't drop but like they they've my guitar tech who who i mentioned earlier he's one of my best friends he was in a bunch of bands he was in a band called jet plane landing who were like a legendary irish punk band he was in a band called fighting with wire great he's also in a band called new pagans right now all great bands check them out um okay. but so in while i've been off doing interviews and shit <laughs> talking to you they've been you know he picks up my guitar and or, or picks up a guitar and goes on the mic and they've written the record together wow. and I, I i'm super pro it i think it's super cool and they put out a single yesterday and there's a record coming that's awesome um who's putting that out extra mile recordings which is okay. the label i've been with since day one i went through a time when we licensed on from extra mile to the universal label but i'm extremely proud of the fact that as of last year i finished my major label deal and walked away didn't get fucking dropped wow i've completed the deal they that's pretty that's ex- pretty hard to do too yeah they offered me an extension and i said you're right mate how many years are you on that one uh 10 years and uh there's a life sentences on major labels man they can be and like i like to think we parted with mutual respect that's nice. I mean, yeah it, and i don't i'm not regretting my time of working with a major but it was no longer the time for me to do that they were a little surprised that yeah. i didn't want to work with them anymore initially but i think like i say i, I hope that we've parted on respectful terms but I'm, nice. I'm also proud of the fact that i went i took that leap I fucking did it. Yeah. I, I survived it and I walked away. You survived it, yeah. Yeah. We were on a major label for one album and the, and the label went under like mid 
record cycle, <laughs> MCA Records. Blink yeah. was on the Newfound Glory. It just went under and it merged with somebody else, and we got, we got let go. It was so lucky. Yeah, it was like yeah, five yeah, or six sure. album deal, man, back then. Yeah, I did a five album deal and uh, finished it. Remember when people like got so bummed with label you're on, like, and then you oh, know, it's, it's funny. So it's, it feels like the last war somehow, almost. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> yeah. like I remember. So I'm 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 kind of medium good friends with Ian Mackay um, these okay. days, which is a wonderful thing because he's the Pope of punk rock. Yeah, he's the best. I love him to pieces. He's a lovely guy. But like, it's almost become a running joke now that like every time he's always like, hit me on when you're in DC, but he won't go to Live Nation venues, which I respect. I love that. Um, but it's like, we play Live Nation venues here and there, particularly like the Fillmore in Silver Spring. He's like, not coming. I'm oh like, man, I was going to, we're playing there in a couple of weeks with Suicidal and Judge. I know. Or at least if he does come, I'm going to be offended. Yeah. But, then, but Amanda, then, so, Amanda's coming. That's my homie. There we go. Okay. But then, but it was kind of funny because like, um, Damn, it's live nation. This, we kept going around and I kept hitting him up and he kept being like, I'm not coming. And then I the, love him for that. Yeah, no, no. no and we'd go and like have a coffee and hang out. Or Legit punk rock for real. Yeah. But it, but it's kind of interesting because like I, there's no part of me that's ever going to disrespect Ian Mackay. But again, I sort of slightly felt like, dude, that's the last war. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, I don't love, nobody fucking loves Live Nation Master, all that sort of business, but it's like I've I've worked with them here and there in my career, and it has it's been annoying, but it's also you get to play the better venues and that kind of thing. Sure, because they have a stranglehold in the market, but like, guess what? Pearl Jam spent a decade trying to fight that and lost. Yeah, you know what I mean. So I'm not sure that call me a coward. I'm not sure I'm the guy who's going to fight that war. Yeah, um, you know, but I, I still wanna... respect the fact that he oh, won. Oh my god, and, and, and he's still the exact same person that he's always been. And like, <coughs> yeah. He's the he like he's everything punk rock. I mean, it's just totally, absolutely, yeah. God it's bless like him. I mean, is there anybody else like that walking and living and breathing that turned down millions <laughs> of dollars for records deals? Still has the Discord house. Just dude, it's just yeah. He's an, a shining example for sure. And like meeting him and knowing him after looking up to him and sending him postcards in the '80s and him being everything you want him to be and more. Doing those walkthroughs, I'm sure you've done many times through Discord. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the minor threat lyrics, just right edge. Here's the as a sheep drawing. Just everything's just there, like the skateboard is. It's just, it's unreal, man. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And even just like having to write him, even just knowing as a friend and somebody that I've hung out with, I know is I know Amanda really well. Just to, have to write him an email, just like writing those emails, I'm just getting always getting nervous. Ner- just a person, just writing the emails to him, like yeah, I yeah. send it off to him, just like totally. this is going to him. Like this dude, like changed my life at 13 years old forever. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's completely, like, completely. And he's, but he's just a person, a just guy. like you. you know, no pun intended. But, <laughs> but you know what I mean, though. I do. And that's good. Yeah, yeah. And like that's your friend. It's like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And he's yeah, he's a sweet guy. It's funny. The the day I met him, I met Henry Rollins and Ian McKay on the same day in the same room, and I'm like, what? Henry Henry was very nice, but he was quite sort of like not standoffish, but just kind of yeah. And then and and I sort of got a photo taken, and and then Ian was like could see that it was getting a little awkward and Ian was like, do you want to go record shopping? And I was like, yes. Then this is like four or five years ago. So we were introduced as two artists kind of thing by a promoter, like at a festival sort of thing. Okay. And Ian was like, hey man, I'm going record shopping. Do you want to come with? So I end up, I'm going record shopping with Ian fucking The first time you meet him? Yeah. So oh we're in a, we're in the, we're in Ithaca, New York, in this like indie record store, and he's like flicking through dub acetates or something super cool, and I'm standing there like a fucking prick, just being like, <laughs> what are, what am I gonna buy when I'm hanging out with the Mackay? You know what the answer to that question is? A fucking Fugazi record. No I way. Get, yeah, because I, which I already own, but it was like I'm gonna get him to sign it because I don't know if I'm ever gonna fucking. Hang was out it cool about again. signing it? Yeah, it's completely. That is so. And awesome. then and then 
we've hung out loads since, so now I feel like even more of a prick. But the point was, I, I was just like, <laughs> would you mind? And he was like, nah, you're right, whatever. You've been, so obviously you've been to Discord House. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. You see, Glennie Freeman has a new Minor Threat book coming out. Really? Out here, they're having a big thing for it, man. And Zach is going to be hosting it that night out no here. No shit. Like, I'm super excited. Every, every time I go to Discord or talk to him or see him, I still, even though he's the, I, I can say he's my friend too as well, but like, I still get like, not starstruck and not like this was a role model. I don't know. It's just kind of surreal sometimes. I know. I, I, of course. I and I, I know people that are really close to him that tell me the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Like. He's, he's definitely got a kind of like. Aura. aura. Are we going to say aura? We're yeah. both about to say the word aura. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's awesome. It's yeah, like. Yeah. But it's a, there's a funny thing in here because like, I mean, I've been fortunate in my life in many ways. And one of the ways is that like, I've ended up being friends with a lot of people who I. Uh, grew up looking up to same and i think that i'm sort of there's a balance to be struck because you don't want to spend your whole fucking life going jesus christ around somebody you're friends with but i also don't want to lose that sense i had when i was a kid as well do you know what i mean it's like and whoever i know what you're saying though milo from the sentence or yeah um me kevin seconds man like yeah you know and and just like you don't want to every single time see them be like oh my god geek out on them yeah yeah but you also don't want to um be blase about but it. Humanize the humans, your people. It's totally. like totally, but I, w- I want to retain some of that sense of wonder. I guess is what I'm saying. Do you know what I mean? Is it's like so, like um, yeah, it's really true. You know, uh, I, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like John, I don't know if you know John K. Sampson. He's a Canadian songwriter. He was in The Week of Ands. He was in Propaganda back in the day. Oh, Propaganda. No, yeah. Um, he's my other favorite songwriter of all time. And we've done a bunch of shows together now. I count him as a friend and everything and like if i'm ever in winnipeg we'll have lunch together and hang out and he's just a good dude and and um but every time we part ways i just walk around the corner and go yeah, <laughs> sorry, you know what i mean yeah and then uh, and that's it that's it that's you, enough we, we appreciate it so much because it's like i don't know i think it's just awesome to but that's it you don't want to be you don't want to be one of those people who's just like oh yeah <laughs> whatever I'm hanging I know. out. So-and-so. It's just hard not to take a picture on the steps every time you go there, though. Yeah, of course. Every time I go, that mo- those moments, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is there somebody that, like, you would love to meet you haven't met in your life? Uh, I met Nick Cave very briefly. Wow. Um, uh, uh, it, it, we were both in a in the same kind of studio complex. Of, I was mastering records, and he just popped his head around the door and said hello and was very, very lovely and polite. I, I recently got my "What Would Nick Cave Do" tattoo on my lo- my nice. hand. Um, I'm I'm like terminally obsessed with Nick Cave as an okay. artist and as a human, and I think that the work he's been doing recently is his new book with Sean O'Hagan was one of the more impactful books I've read in recent years. I would recommend it. Okay. Um, he does a thing called Red Hand Files. Do you know about Red Hand Files? He got bored of doing interviews. Doesn't do interviews anymore. What he does is twice a week he replies to uh, a letter from a fan. And you sign up on an email and you get it. You go to redhandfiles.com and twice a week you get an email with Nick Cave answering someone's question. Wow. And that's it. And I recommend How you. How cool is that? And and he writes with grace and poise and humor and and caustic wit when required. But he has this kind of like sense of kind of like empathy for the human condition that is like. And like he's become a religious man later in his life in a way that I don't personally identify with but it's not that's that's no obstacle to kind of what he's saying he talks about you know all of us being frail broken individuals who are trying to figure out what the fuck we're doing on this planet and totally. all that kind of thing yeah and um and then plus i mean i just i thought that 
Ghostine, that record was just such an unfucking believable piece of art. Um, uh, I, I, I'm not aware of, and, and uh, when everyone makes sweeping, sweeping statements of these kinds, you've got to be sort of like, have the sort of humility to recognize that you might just not know. But I, I'm not aware of anybody else who's operating on making that kind of art at that level in the world right now mm. in my opinion and like i love his early stuff with the noisy borderline incoherent sort of post rock shit yeah the blitzer bar girl years i fucking love the kind of rock and roll years the kind of abattoir blues and all that kind of thing when suddenly he's wearing a suit and a quiff and he's cool as fuck <laughs> and then and then this kind of new almost kind of ambient phase is in right now yeah it's all dealing with the death of his son yes and all that kind of thing i just think it's um he sort of he's he fills the hole that was left when Leonard Cohen died for me because I think Leonard Cohen was arguably the greatest songwriter of the 20th century, um, and like I just think it's it's a ple- it's a privilege to be alive at the same time as someone like that is putting out records. Wow, how old is Nick Cave? Uh, he's in his 60s at a guess. He's got he's got more than one. He had a kid to pass, and he has another kid too, right? Uh, he he's had as far as I know, he had three kids and two of them died. Wow, uh, in separate circumstances. Well, whatever kid is alive at this moment, he takes him to my wife's. My wife works at a famous skate park, huh. and he goes there with his kid. Oh, amazing! Yeah, wow. which is really cool. Yeah, She's yeah. like, "Oh, Nick Cave came here today." Yeah, yeah. Interesting story about Nick Cave. You're probably not gonna like it. Um, Nick Cave was eating lunch with Chris Martin from Crossroads at from uh, Coldplay Cold at my friend's restaurant, Crossroads. I'm walking in. He's walking out with him. I don't really know who Nick Cave is. I'm sorry. I do know now. Yeah, I'm a poser. Yeah. I thought he was Rick Ocasek from the cars because I'm a moron. And there's a black SUV waiting outside. And I just, literally, Chris Martin opens the door for me. I came in. I looked down. I was like, I had to say something to him. You know, show my tats. Got a photo. I turn around and Nick Cave's just standing all in black, just standing there. I'm like, I didn't, I was, I didn't, even, I didn't even know who really it was. And then once I told my friends, they flipped on me yeah. oh my god that was nick cave with chris martin this this, this that combination is kind of crazy yeah, yeah. and you no, they're anything? really good friends it's it's a weird one okay so yeah, you know yeah, about this okay yeah, yeah, they've talked about it in interviews and stuff wow yeah it was such a crazy combo yeah yeah totally well people say that and nick cave's just like i don't give a fuck man like, no i love that too yeah, yeah totally jay-z is super tight with chris martin as well wow yeah um Fuck man, this is awesome conversation. I'm so psyched right now. You have to go pee or anything? You good? Uh, no, I, I possibly need. I've got a. How like, soon? Uh, soonish. Okay. Let's let's say that. Okay, let's fast forward then. Okay. We'll be um, here all day. I know because no, this, I mean that was a compliment. I know because in, you like, do the right to die, on. the assisted living thing, the assisted dying thing is so. Oh yeah, I'm admit, I mean, I've done less with that in recent years, not because I've sort of gone off the idea or anything, but just it hasn't been. Okay. My my. But used to do that focus. stuff. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is really I mean, it, it really like incredible but yeah not no more um we talked earlier too early about listening to like new music and new hardcore stuff like that you kind of listen to like stuff you know i i, I, I try and listen to new stuff i mean yeah. what, one of the more invigorating things for me in recent years is that um i've set up my own studio to produce other people like that's not, cool uh and and i moved out of london to essex and there's a really cool essex punk scene and folk scene and i've sort of been producing a lot of kind of younger newer bands and it's fucking awesome and it's a really good way of rekindling your interest in new music totally there's nothing more cliche than the old decade who says something like rock music's over and it's like i think you mean that you're over true like shut the fuck up yeah you know it's like and um there's just some i've been producing cool bands pet needs the meths ben brown um who else have been doing 
my brain's going blank but there's just I've been producing a lot of really really cool bands um from my studio at home and it, it just it's really fucking exciting being in the studio with a band who are making their first record and they're excited too yeah, like the, yeah, and, yeah, you, yeah. and your job is to guide them through the process that's that's been really I feel like it's been important for me as a writer as well because it brings a bit of piss and vinegar back into my own stuff. So it inspires you as well, yeah. yeah. Um, do you have a major, major regrets in your life? Oh, fuck yeah. I think people who say they have no regrets are either like dumb or like <laughs> or lying, essentially. Yeah. Or possibly sociopaths. Those mm-hmm. are the options. But like, I mean, like, of course I do. I mean, fuck me. Like, um, you know, the, 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 the like the shower thoughts, the bits where, or the 3 a.m. thoughts where you wake up and you go, oh, fuck. And it's going to be anything from like this dumb thing. <laughs> I know this isn't quite what you're asking about, but like the other day I fucking, I've asked, um, I forgot who the guitarist then Shikari was. I knew I knew him. I saw him. I thought he was a crew guy. And I said, who are you here with today? This is at Riot Fest. And he oh. was like, and Shikari. And we hung out like a month ago. And I was just tired and I just felt like such a prick. Mm. And he's such a nice guy and his band are so good. And it was just like, oh, well, fuck you then. <laughs> like to myself. It happens. Um, but, but yeah. you know, I mean, fuck yeah. I mean, there, there are, I mean, I don't think you can be an addict and not have regrets. Yeah. Jesus Christ. No, for sure. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, this fuck, experience man, I've got yeah. shit loads of regrets, yeah, man. Okay. Jesus Christ. Are you an optimist or pessimist? Uh, I I I like I like to think I'm a I'm a pessimist, but I'm secretly an optimist. Okay. I think it would, I'd like part of me thinks it was cooler to be a pessimist, but I'm not actually a pessimist. I'm okay. an optimist. Yeah. <laughs> you're a pretty happy person. Well, I'm not sure I'd say that. That's a slightly different thing. I mean, I have no. My, I guess you're right. Yeah. I have my ups and downs. But you like to try to stay positive and focus yeah, on the good I things. Think, and I think the word focus is a good one. Like, yeah. I think that like if I'm going to choose what to spend my time thinking about, singing about it, but to the extent that one has choice over those things, I try and focus on the positive things. Yeah. But you never, and also you never give up on yourself doing music in your career. Even when people are telling you, you couldn't do it or you shouldn't be doing it. You should be doing this. You, you continue to, to grind and work hard yeah, and get where sure. you're at yeah. and believe in yourself. And part of PMA is what the, what the mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. Right. You know and what it's I mean? interesting. You mentioned PMA. I mean, I have a, I put out a record called positive songs, negative. Yeah. People, yeah. yeah. And like awesome. Part, yeah. part of the, that was a little, just a little nod to kind of 88 Hardcore, do you know what I mean? And yeah. Like Youth of Today or whatever. Yeah. Very select few people got that. <laughs> no, I, lo- I, love, I, love that, I love that title. Um, what about ever having kids? Do you ever own kids? Uh, it's unlikely. Um, okay. uh, and that, the, answer, the deeper answers to that are going to stay okay, yeah, yeah, on yeah. the down though. And then what about some daily rituals you have? Oh, daily rituals. I mean... Um, you know, I have, I mean, I, I'm a reasonably routine and structured kind of guy. Coffee for saying. sure we talked about. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I tend to do, if I don't read 50 pages of the book I'm currently reading a day, I feel like I, I get annoyed. Wow. Um, I like that. So right now I'm reading the second volume of John Julius Norwich's History of the Byzantine Empire, um, which I've actually read before, but I read it like 20 years ago. Um, and uh, it's such an insane and un- underappreciated bit of history. Uh, it's also a very entertainingly written book, um, okay. and I'd recommend it. Um, uh, but uh, you know, I mean, some days I'll read a hundred pages, two hundred pages, whatever. But like, it's got to—I've got to read fifty pages in a day. I love that. Um, or else I get kind of stressed out. And you saw my wife's puzzle. You a puzzle guy too? So I, I am a puzzle guy. I mean, not—I kind of slightly try and keep myself away from them. Um, but like at Christmas. Oh yeah, Christmas. Family yeah, Christmas yeah. puzzles come out. But I mean, you know, like I mean, when I'm on tour, my fam- my ritual is I talk to my wife. 
you know, we have a thing. We always text when we wake up, text when we go to sleep. You know, we talk to each other a lot. Yeah. Um, and then one story you told me real quick while we were eating at our green table, your earth crisis story. You tell the story. I think it was Oh, awesome. yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was, I, you know what? I'm going to go back to my hotel room in a minute and listen to some earth crisis because it's been a minute. Um, uh, I was big into earth crisis. I, and uh, I, they were playing the underworld. This is in roughly 1999 at Oof. a guess. Um, and uh, I, crowd surfed onto the stage um and i fucked it up because i landed as they finished a song which is a terrible faux pas we all know and carl just kind of pulled me to my feet and shoved the mic in my hand and was like off you go boy and they started playing gomorrah season ends and i sung not all quite all of but sort of a, a large chunk of gomorrah season ends with us crisis you had x's was, on your feet too right I, I i had a pair of trainers that i'd drawn x's on I love that, man. Yeah, there are still people who I encounter once in a blue moon from who used to go to Hardcore shows in the 90s in London who are like, are you the fucking, you can't be the kid who had the X's on his shoes. No right? way. Yeah. Wow. Every now and again. And then what was your last real job We had a boss? That's a fucking great question. I mean, there's a part of me that would say that my tour manager is my boss because That's... I fucking do what she tells me to do. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, <laughs> but to answer your question in the spirit it's intended... Hmm. Oh, fuck, I don't know. It was probably telesales, actually. Okay, telemarketing. Um, yeah, telemarketing. Yeah. What year um, would that be? 2000? Uh, 2004 was the last time I did another job other than... It's pretty amazing, man. Music. Yeah, I mean, it's the most amazing thing. It's been 19 years I've been making a living out of music. I'm fucking proud of that. Yeah. And like, there's a lot of times when people talk about... Kids quite often ask about making it and all this kind of thing. And I just... It's like, what the fuck are you... I what does that define mean? Define it. Actually, funnily enough... I answered, somebody asked me a question about making it. There's this radio DJ from Portsmouth in the UK. And I was like, no one gives you a badge that says you've made it at a no. certain point. And the next time he interviewed me about a year later, he gave me a badge with you've made it written on it, which was, <laughs> which was very good of him. That's incredible. He's a funny guy. He's a nice guy. But like, um, yeah, there's no retirement in this. There's no like, at least you no know, medical insurance. There's no right. 401k. I think the, the, the whole thing of like not having to do anything else is such a huge privilege incredible and if you can land there by hook or by crook then you, yeah you know doing what you love for a living i mean fuck man. yeah we're lucky to do that man we're really yeah. lucky insanely lucky and we worked hard know? to do it and and totally i also think it's really and i try really hard to be humble about my claims for what i do i'm not a surgeon or a nurse or indeed a teacher or anything like that Same. if i stopped doing what i was doing tomorrow the world would keep turning do you know what i mean there'd be some people who might be bummed out but nobody's yeah. gonna physically hurt because i don't fucking play my guitar anymore it's important to keep that in mind i fucking love what i do i'm proud of the way in which i do it and the ex the length of time that i've done it for but it's like i guess part of this is like there's nothing so annoying as a musician who thinks that what they do is important to like world peace or world happiness or some <laughs> shit like this it's like fuck off man <laughs> like there's another 10 people standing behind you but you have away. changed people's lives and saved people's lives and help people in so many ways you know, whether you know it or not your music has the thing about that right is that like i would say that of plenty of musicians with regard to myself as in what we were talking about with ian mckay yeah. or whatever you know i find it difficult to direct that thought at myself from somebody else's perspective mm. do you know what i mean and, yeah. and in a way i feel like if i didn't find that difficult that would be proof that i had disappeared on my own ass so <laughs> it's yeah. kind of you know i try, I'm in a way i try just try not to think about it very much do you yeah. know what i mean well i'm giving you your flowers while you're here okay thank you, you know? <laughs> 
Well, dude, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you for your time, man. Yeah, this is awesome. You came from the airport. You have shows this weekend, and um, hope to hang with you again soon next time you're yeah, in Los Angeles. Man. And yeah, man. So people can find you on social. Oh, the, the, are you on social media talking to people, answering your messages? No, because I answer my emails. Okay, only emails. I, I have my email address on my website. If you want to get in touch, send me an email. I'll write back to you in 24 hours. So social media, not checking messages. Uh, no, not- it's a broadcast tool for me. Um, and it didn't used to be that way, and it was a catastrophically bad for my mental health. Um, so, you took and, a social media break. Uh, I use no, I post on social media all the time, but it's it's a broadcast tool, like I said, it's not a conversation. Tool I like that. Um, and I the thing that. is, like, um, I and part of the reason for that is when people have conversations on social media, it's performative. If you want to have a conversation with me as one human being to another, I'll do that. I love. Yeah, I've got that. my email address out there. I'll talk to anyone about anything. I don't give a fuck. But like, if you want to like you know show off essentially whilst talking to me fuck off man i'm not interested like and you know there is information on my social media about the things that i'm doing well and, and quite often about things that i like that i want to big up or whatever yeah like this morning i did a post about the songwriter i just mentioned michael yeah. Schabel. i was like hey everyone listen to this guy he's fucking great and then tomorrow i'm gonna do some showtimes posts for lost evenings and blah 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 but if you want to actually communicate then my email address is on my website and it doesn't get filtered it comes to me that's incredible man it's the first part, yeah, like you put it out there, it's broadcast, and that's it. It's not like, yeah, not I, for like discussion, say, I, it's not for, yeah. I tried to get in social media, and it made me want to fucking hang myself. It was awful. I fucking hate what Twitter has done to our discourse. Wow. Yeah, and if, if, if the end result of what Elon Musk, whatever the fuck it is Elon Musk is doing right now, is that he shuts Twitter down, I'm going to buy him a fucking beer, because he'll be doing the world of service. Yes. And fuck threads. Don't fucking get on. The way that, sorry, this has got nothing to do with anything. No, when they launched it. threads, and everyone was like, it's a new thing. It reminded me of it. nothing so much as friends of mine who'd found a new drug dealer when the old one's gear had started getting a bit too chopped mm. up. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you're still on drugs. Yeah, I, I'm fucking I mean? with threads, yeah. And it's I, just like, oh, Twitter's got bad. But now there's threads. It's just like, it's still fucking rotting your brain. Get the fuck off Twitter. It is. You read a book like you yeah, do. Yeah, read a fucking book. I like when Dave Chappelle said last year, I heard them mad at me on Twitter. He's like, thankfully, thankfully Twitter's not a real place. Ugh. I love that. Yeah. That, I love separating yeah. the reality. That's like not reality. Yeah. It's just... Well, I had plenty of times of getting monstered on social media and the smartest thing anyone ever said to it was my big sister got a, got a fucking map book out and said, point to me on this map where this is happening. I hadn't slept for like a week, not because of drugs, because of stress, because of being fucked off. And she was like, Where Because of exactly? online, sh- online shit, you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get wow. It. This, that, and the other, some bullshit. You know, people go have a go about I hate anything. it too, man. And, and my, sis- my big sister said, point that to is... me on this map where this thing that is upsetting you is taking place. And I was like, well, I can't do that. And she was like, exactly, motherfucker. That's fucking, inc- that's a great way to end this podcast. That is incredible, man. Yeah. The other thing she said, she was like, put your phone, turn your phone off and leave it, because I was at her house. She was like, turn your phone off and leave it in here and walk to the shops and do a shop and come back again and tell me how many people you walk past give a fuck about whatever it is you're arguing about on the internet yes. right now. And the answer was zero. I fucking love that. And one more thing I'll say is all the things people say about people on the internet, they would never say it to your face in real life. And yeah. half those people are still coming to see you perform. They're still supporting. They're still following you. It's crazy. Yeah. We're going to do a part two someday. Yes, we are. I'm going to check on that right now. It's <laughs> terrible podcasting. but <laughs> Dude, thank you so much, My man. Pleasure, man. This is great. Bye, everybody. I always ask my guests if they have any regrets. I personally don't have any regrets. Even when it comes to my tattoos. I have the silliest tattoos. Even my ET on my leg. It's still a childhood memory for me, and I love it. I've had tattoos on top of tattoos strictly because I wanted more tattoos. I started getting tattoos when I was 18. I'm 52 now, and I can't stop. I've had laser treatment before on something on my arm. It's four tattoos on top of each other. 
And that experience at that place was pretty fast. It was pretty cold. It was in and out. Swipe the credit card. Don't really tell me much. Didn't give me much details or anything was going to happen. So I never went back. So as of most recently, I'm so lucky enough to have had two sessions at Removery Tattoo Removal. My tattoo on my arm that looks like a big black blob is now super light. I've had two sessions. I have a long road ahead of me. None of this stuff happens overnight. You cannot take a tattoo up in one sitting. You have to be patient. And it's painful. They ice you up. It's super fast. To me, it felt like a bunch of rubber bands. But what's more painful than that is looking at something on your body that you think you're stuck with for the rest of your life. That sucks. But now for me, I'm really happy I started this journey. I'm slowly going to get this tattoo removed. I never thought in a million years I have any kind of real estate on my arm. I don't even know what I want, but it's exciting. I'm so honored to announce that One Life, One Chance podcast is now with Removery. I have a code. Use TobyH20 and get $100 off your first session. Call 866-934-4570 or go to Removery.com. One of the most experienced tattoo remover companies in the world. Over 600,000 remover treatments done. 100 locations. U.S., Canada, and Australia. State-of-the-art peak-away laser technology. Cryotechnology to reduce any discomfort. This is so exciting for me because all I do on these podcasts is talk about tattoos. From day one, if you've been listening to this podcast, talk about tattoos, talk about getting removed, talk about getting covered up. So this is such a perfect fit for me. Once again, go to removery.com or call 866-934-4570. Use my code TOBYH20 and get $100 off. These guys are located everywhere. Try it out.